Listening to Otaku Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined with Chris. Yo! Today's episode is our Winter 2022 Reviews Part 1 of 2, because there's a lot to go through. Now, I'm assuming with spring it's going to be like four parts, but still, we can say winter has a lot of shows for us to cover, so it needs two parts. But uh, yeah, for this particular episode, we have Akebi's Sailor Uniform, My Dress Up Darling, Ranking of Kings, Orient, Slow Loop, In the Land of Liddell. The Orbital Children, Extraterrestrial Boys and Girls, Sabakui Bisco, Teasing Master Takagi-san, Third Season, World End Harem, World's End Harem, sorry, uh, Sora, Iro, Utility, Demon Slayer, Kimitsu Yaiba, Entertainment District Arc, Mushoku Tensei, Jobless Reincarnation, Edis the Goblin Slayer OVA. Did you watch that? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> there was a couple of things we were going through the other day, and I'm like, you haven't yet? <laughs> that was the first thing I did when we got back from our trip. <laughs> I could not resist. Uh, anyways, and the last one, 86, 86, the second part, uh, second season, uh, the last two episodes, they just kind of go through our thoughts, our final thoughts, I guess, because we technically reviewed the first 10 episodes. It's just we had to wait for the ending. So we could talk a little bit about how we thought it kind of wrapped up. Not really so much detail because we already have that, but uh, it is what it is. But yeah, as usual, at talkwithspirit.com, you can go there for all of our information uh, our social media links, all that kind of stuff, how to support us. Uh, we definitely appreciate everybody that supports us. We also have a link to our Discord there so you can join and discuss several of these shows. We have our own little chats that we have where you can communicate with your thoughts on the shows and, of course, going into spring, all of your thoughts about that stuff. So, What's even worse is I got excited about uh, Edis the other day when we were talking about, oh, hey, I forgot about that. And then I ended up forgetting about it again. So I didn't even watch it until just a few minutes ago. Oh, is that why I was waiting and you were you're just in there consuming it really quickly? Yeah. Okay, good. Because I was, I was going to help be you fresh with... fresh in your mind. I was going to help you with your, your outline, and then I was like, oh, crap. I, that, I, I have to watch that. <laughs> Appreciate it. At least you have an excuse this time. <laughs> but yeah, we should get into this because it's a lot of shows to go through. Te- granted, like I said before, technically like three of them are just kind of finish ups and one's technically just an OVA but we don't want to leave out shows just because they're shorter we never leave out shows because they're shorter but anyways let's kick things off with a bang we have Akabe Sailor Uniform or Akabe-chan no Sailor Fuku 
This one streamed on Crunchyroll and Funimation. Ran for 12 episodes. The studio is Cloverworks. Uh, the source is a manga. The genres are Slice of Life. And, of course, the creator behind this is Hito. And Hito is obviously known for, at least for us, <laughs> as doing the artwork for the light novel for Super Cub, which we absolutely adored. Also has done art for the Hayate Combat Butler light novel, as well as a contributor on the Kalon Anthology comics. Uh, but this one follows Akebi, as you would kind of gather. Komichi Akebi, and she is super excited because she's about to go to a new school, or she's tried out for a school, and she got into that school. And this is the school that her mother went to. And to kind of give you an idea of what kind of person Akebi is, she is always kind of, she lives out in the boonies. <laughs> so bad that it's one of those places, kind of like, you know, uh, if you watch something like uh, Higarashi when they cry, it's like a very small village, and so small that she pretty much spent six years of her schooling pretty much the only kid in the school <laughs> like her only her only friend is her teacher uh but eventually of course her her little sister eventually joined that school but then shortly later she obviously moved on to a university which she got into and this this school that she gets into obviously has a lot of students there she has to travel a little bit to get there and she has made it her goal i'm gonna make a lot of friends because she's never really had anybody her at least her age uh as a friend so it's de definitely a change for her the other kind of thing is that she's always seen pictures of her mother because it's a school that her mother went to. And her mother had this very beautiful sailor uniform that she got to wear when she went to that school. So that could be really excited for that. Her mother even makes it for her because her mother's a tailor and everything. And uh, she gets there and <laughs> she's a little shocked to find out, yeah, since her mother's been there, they've kind of ditched the sailor uniform and moved on to like a blazer uh, kind of outfit. So that was a little embarrassing, but the, the principal allows it, so she's able to go to the school. Then it kind of helps because it helps her stand out a little bit amongst all the other students wearing a sailor uniform. So it's kind of her journey as she does exactly what she really kind of seeked out to do, which is make a lot of friends and make new, make new memories and all the different people that she meets there and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, your thoughts on Akebi's sailor uniform? I'm, I, I don't know that I've talked too much to you about this show. I think I think we've had a passing talk here and there, but not, I, I, granted, it's not really a show where you have a lot to talk about. It's just kind of the the, the presence of the show itself has is definitely special. Yeah, it's definitely one of those just warm warm calming type shows that you you love to go back to every every episode. And th this is one of the things that is kind of nice about this show is it just has that um, that aspect of like we said with uh super cub it's it's one of those that you just you just generally want to see that these girls just do what they do and i i i absolutely love the fact that it goes from moment to moment there is this aspect of like andrew said when he when she starts starts in school she's obviously wearing the sailor uniform and so she stands out a lot and this kind of brings almost a negative um, uh, view upon her. Um, but at the same time, she very quickly um, counters that with her just overwhelming, um, lovable personality that just kind of makes that draws these these uh these girls to her and through episode to episode she just is 
stands out more and more and becomes just this thing that they all want to revolve around. Um, I, I, I get a kick out of it. One of the, one of the people in our, uh, discord had pointed out, you know, um, who needs a second son because you have her. And so it's, it, and, and this is very true in a, in a lot of ways, she just is the, the force that the entire school kind of just flocks around. And, and this is absolutely shown in the, in the last episode when, when things all culminate together in this, this just fantastic moment, um, that very artistic, very beautiful. Um, I, I, I joked about the fact that there was a lot of dust in my room apparently that day. And for whatever reason, I, 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 couldn't stop the dust irritating my eyes that that day it was it, it just happened um but yeah i absolutely love it um highly suggest it for anybody who loves l- likes those kind of more low-key just feel good type shows this is that in in a nutshell i kind of had the same feeling with the last episode and i was i was equating it to the fact that with the the previous episode with episode 11 it was like I felt like everything was culminating to that point. And I felt like episode 11 was kind of pointing out those things, the buildup. And then so when it came to episode 12, it was like I kind of just carried over the same emotion over to it. So it just kind of kept compounding upon itself. And it was just extremely emotional for me. But no, I, I think the there's two things that I really equate heavily to the show. Because it's, it's obviously a very difficult sell. Slice of Life's are always difficult sells because I feel like the only people that love Slice of Life are either super Slice of Life fans, which are very passionate fans, um, but they're also people that just find something in it they can relate to. You have to find something to relate to or attach to in the earlier episodes that you can relate to in order to enjoy it. Whereas I think in some cases, and especially for people that are just in general Slice of Life fans, they usually try to find something, but in most cases they just want to see this little snippet of somebody's life. And I feel like slice of life really encompasses that. It always takes as the, the genre would lead you to believe a slice of somebody's life. And it's not always the most bombastic, crazy things. We're not talking about a Kevy powering up and becoming a, a super saiyan or anything like that. There's no, there's no battle to get stronger. There's no action scenes, even though there's a lot of really amazing animation pieces in this series, which Cloverworks went crazy on. Um, I, I, I think there's, Something to be said about something that can capture you, even though it's technically the mundane. It's technically just somebody's life existing. And I think why this does so well of grabbing me personally is that Kebby is a very lovable character. You want to see her succeed. She's pretty much like the the daughter that you're watching and going, go girl, you can get them. You can, <laughs> you can make those friends you're looking for. And as it gets into this aspect of, you know, her technically being alone so long of her life and not having friends her age you're like you really want her to have that but i think there's again two aspects that i think this show does so perfectly well and that's wholesome moments <laughs> there's just this this is literally wholesome the anime there's so many moments where you're like that was extremely wholesome and i'm just heartwarmed by it but there's also the aspect of being able to pull off these impactful but not dramatic points. Like they're they're subtle dramatic points. I, I kind of joked about it with some people that it's almost like it's the opposite of melodrama. Where and to, to explain that is you know melodrama. I don't like melodrama. Melodrama is something I I actually go out of my way to avoid. I mean I'll I'll, I'll allow it to happen, but for the most part it's not going to be enjoyable for me. And this is kind of like the opposite, where it's like under drama. Like it's it's 
these little small d- drama beats that you kind of see cracks in characters. You see wounds that characters have, but it doesn't focus on it. It doesn't go, okay, well, you've seen that, didn't you? Time to get into it. It's time to have a whole backstory about how tragic this character has had it. And it doesn't do that. It, it pretty much just says, you can kind of note it. To give you an early example, there's a girl named Tomono uh, Kojo. And Kojo at some point is kind of, you know, going around different places with Ekabi, and at some point they get stuck in the rain. And you have this point in which Kojo kind of indicates that she would like Ekabi to read a book to her, like Ekabi reads the book to her little sister. And so you have a little moment there of like, okay, maybe she has like a, a lack of some sort of, you know, a sister. Maybe she has a sister problem. Maybe she lost her sister. And then it gets this whole thing where Ekabi reads this book to her with her head on her lap, and then later on, Kojo wakes up on, on Akebi's lap and looks up to Akebi and says, mother. Like, Akebi looked for a brief moment like her mother. And again, you can say, well, maybe it's because her mother died or she misses her mother. Her mother's too busy to be around her. She's seeking a, a parental figure. It never gets into it. It's like it, you can see there's a possible scar there, but it's not going to take its time to really derail the story just so you can get everything about this character. And I kind of respect that. And it, and I know that it's not just me overthinking it because it felt like it does that pretty much episode, every episode. There's a character that will have some sort of – like the entire time I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to theorize on what happened at Erica. Like she keeps looking at this piano and I'm like there's going to be some deep tragic backstory around this, this piano because it's obviously putting emphasis on it. It's putting emphasis on it's dusty. It's putting emphasis on that she knew it but she walked away from it. What made her walk away from it? And again, it doesn't – you can say that it's probably plot holes, but because it so consistently does that, it leads me to believe the writer wants you to know there's a problem, but the characters are focused on the now and the future. And I think that's because Akabi's there to push them forward. And I love that aspect of it, to be able to do those very underdrama type of pieces, but yet not let it derail the story, but focus on the now and what they're doing in the future. And these experiences that they have and enjoying their time together that I feel is just super, super wholesome. <laughs> like every time some character does something embarrassing or something like that, it's so it's so personable and so and so cute to watch. Like that could be burping in front of her friends and being super embarrassed by it. Uh having the one girl getting into photography and you find out that she has a little bit of a Things she likes about photography that is a little more risque, and then she accidentally sends a cubby a picture of it, and she's super embarrassed by it, and she's like, "Mom, I just ruined my entire life." It, it's it's those little moments that are so so uh, so natural and so wholesome that I loved every single episode. Now, I kind of agree with I think somebody mentioned in Discord. I kind of agree that episode five, when it follows uh, Okuma, is probably the only kind of um, the least. Uh, impactful episode. It had a really great ending to it because it kind of follows the Sundete girl, which we always like Sundete girls. But I think every episode I absolutely adore for one way or another. Because there's a lot of cast of characters to work with, and I kind of felt like that was going to be an issue with the show, but it never really felt like it had an issue because I loved every character they introduced. And the whole concept again is this whole story is a cubby meeting friends and how it again book in that at the very end I thought was absolutely. Amazing. I don't know if they move things around in order to pull that off. I remember one episode felt like it might possibly be a later episode or a later part story, but it, it, it did so well in kind of creating this concept and really bookending it so well 
that I felt like it was a complete story. I would love more of it, and I would I would I would like to venture into the manga, but I don't really feel like I have to. And I like I like that feeling that I felt like it was a really solid complete story that it kind of ended with. So, yeah, just to comment on what Andrew was saying with that, um, with uh, with her and and the not playing the piano or or um, what she does later, she it was uh, pretty much just simplified into a single sentence that she while she was playing she turned around and said i got my joy back and it that was it 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 didn't really have to go into anything back back story wise it didn't have to make this big old long like andrew was saying melodrama involved in it just i got my joy back and it and that's that's one of those simple things of that i just absolutely love about the storytelling in this it's 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 the simple things that 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 drives people in a lot of cases it's not necessarily some deep dark story it it's it's i want to enjoy what i'm doing yeah i mean it's something to be said nobody nobody goes into a situation and is reminded of something as they're standing in front of somebody and suddenly they go into some like I massive flash flashback as they're talking to somebody and has to get into their own details within their own mind. It's just you you acknowledge the wounds and you kind of move forward. Is the is the I, I think what they're kind of pushing. Now, and, and technically, you have to address the other aspect. Is I so for the art style, I I really wasn't sure what I was going to think of it coming into it. I I love a lot of the art style that, that Hito does, but at the same time, there's a lot of it that looks very different. It's very different. Some have very slanted and almost kind of uh, uh, wide eyes to them, and I, I almost thought that I was going to be off put by that. But I think, uh, especially thanks for for uh, Cloverworks' work on this particular title, I think I, I grew to love it. I, I think that makes every character look very unique, and it's a very unique style to it that I eventually kind of fell in love with. So I I do appreciate that aspect. Now again the the fetishizing thing, I I, do, I, te- I technically do want to address because I think that's something that people are going to run into and have an issue with. And I I guess I just want to get my my perspective into here cuz I think yes, early on with the first episode, one of the first cases of this quote-unquote fetishizing is and what I mean by fetishizing is is where it really does feel like the camera gets in there and it's obviously something that you kind of feel would probably be adapted from the manga. This idea of getting very close and personal uh personal with certain scenes and I, I at first when when Akepi's had her scene where she's technically putting on the uniform, I, I felt like yeah you can see that as fetishizing it uh, the dressing scene, but I felt it was an aspect of trying to show how how important it was. Like it it couldn't be just Akepi walks into a room and she comes back out comes back out and she's wearing the uniform. This was an important moment for her. She's been looking forward to it for a long time, so I felt like it had to have a scene where it shows her. Very, you know, uh, slowly and very, you know, what's the word? Just putting on the uniform and, and enjoying the moment. And I felt like that was a case with a lot of other scenes where, again, it feels like it might be close and very personal with the characters, almost very uh, <laughs> uncomfortable in a way for some people. But I always felt like every single one of those scenes are for a reason. Like, especially with, like, again, going back to an early example with Kojo, having a Kebi there with her in, you know, in the rain and having this little close moment between the two of them, I felt like it, like it was a personal moment. These characters are alone. They're together. And there's a bond being created. And you can say it's Yuri baiting, especially like with the Etika scene later on. But I feel like it's one of those moments where there's nobody watching them. 
And I think that's a nice a nice perspective to have this very – you're able to see this moment between two characters that normally most people won't be able to see, and they're comfortable with each other in a way that it creates a bond. And again, you can claim it's fetishizing, but I felt like it was always kind of more personal, impactful moments between characters or characters alone that gives you a little perspective into them. You get a little more personal with them that it makes the bonds with them a little more stronger. I don't know if you agree or disagree. I highly agree, actually. Um, to me, um, we had some um, some girlfriends, if you want to call them that, uh, when we were younger. And girls tend to be a lot more, for lack of a better term, sensual in the way that they interact with each other than guys are. And so, to me, a lot of the interactions between yeah, them we didn't. A guy doesn't walk up to another guy and hug their arm and go, "Let's go do this." Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a little <laughs> different how they act. So, it, it to me, it seemed pretty natural. I mean, I could see why people would watch it and go, "Oh, well, that, that that's obviously uh, uh, shoujo eye," but I didn't see it that way. But I, like I said, I can I can understand why people would look at it that way, and and that's one of those things that. People are going to say what they're going to say. And it's one of those ones where you're like, well, did you see that, Nit? That seems a little bit interesting that you've seen that. <laughs> but no, like I said, I can agree with it because I agree to an extent. And then I think it's probably partly to do with the fact that Cloverworks in certain scenes would put a lot of detail into it. And I think that's because in the manga, there was a lot of detail. And I like that they, every now and then they will actually have what looks like it's pulled straight out of the manga. These shots that are like really hyper detailed. Suddenly you'll see like almost every strand of the character is being uh, kind of highlighted. And I feel like that was one of those cases where it's trying to like highlight these very specific shots from the manga that are kind of key pivotal points. I mean, one I think we've seen early on in the previous stuff was, and, and a lot of the artwork for Akebi's the manga is this whole scene where she's acting out this scene that this, um, this idol that she really loves Mickey did in a commercial where she kind of pops her lips. And again, it has it like very detailed and goes on a lot of effort with it. But I do love that despite this being more of a side title that obviously, especially in the West is not going to get as much attention. Um, Cloverworks put a lot of effort into the show and I do really appreciate that. And it never felt like it ever fell off that man, that wagon. Um, I can see something like dress up darling. They did on the same, uh, the same season, being something that Cloverworks would constantly keep on top of, but this was equally one that they just kept a really gorgeous art style into it and some really amazing animation pieces that, again, bring the characters to life, make them look like living, living, breathing characters rather than just, you know, 2D flat images that slide across the screen that some companies would do. Now, art side on my side, I, I did, uh, think I was going to be a little bit uh, similarly I was going to be a little turned off by the artwork me I really really uh, started to enjoy it very quickly mostly because of the um, a lot of the personality of the characters they're um, the something about the artwork um, uh, gives off this impression of people who are very interested in each other and that that I think is one thing that really stands out in the show is like I said everybody's constantly drawn into uh, Ekebi and them having that um that almost kind of leaning forward into somebody else type the way that the artwork uh looks is it looks like they're constantly leaning into each other the, 
I'm interested in what you have to say. I want to know about you. I, and, and that the artwork absolutely screams that from the rooftops. It, 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 I, and that is one thing that I absolutely love about it. And then it, like Andrew is mentioning, it just looks more natural as they start to, as you start to get used to that off-putting style, you start to really realize that it just looks natural the way that they, they move, the way that they, they stand and everything like that. Can we also, before we finish, acknowledge the fact that this is one of the few animes that actually has a character that has a full family, <laughs> a dad that's mostly present, uh, the mother that is extremely caring and loving and the best little sister ever because Tama slap bottoms around, <laughs> around friend. <laughs> She, she, she. There, this is giving you an, an, an idea. They, they have this whole thing where, um, essentially, Akebi has always slapped her own butt to entertain her little sister when she was very young. So her little sister like gravitated toward that, and she felt it was necessary to let the friend know that the thing that she loves about her sister is her butt makes an interesting noise when you slap it. Uh, so good. Again, embarrassing moments done just so well. Um, love it. It's just great characters. A great little family. So, yeah, we, we've actually, this is scaring me now that we've talked that long about one show and we have so many other shows to watch or talk about. But Dress Up Darling, My Dress Up Darling, or Sona Biske, Doll Wa Koi Wo Suru. This one is streaming on Funimation around for 12 episodes, done by Studio Cloverworks. Uh, the sources of manga, the genres are Seinen. The, uh, and this one follows a guy named Gojo. And Gojo, when he was very young, became extremely interested in Hime dolls. Because his grandfather makes Hime dolls. And so he kind of strived to create Hime dolls. And that's pretty much what he spent most of his life. And of course, people his age when he was very young seen that as not a... Hime or Hina? Hime? Princess dolls? I I know that you're saying the princess dolls, but I thought they were Hina dolls. Could be. Dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh... And, of course, it's not accepted by anybody his age, so he kind of became an outcast and been pretty much alone most of his life. At some point, he is going to create some fabric for one of them, and he decides to use the one at the home at class because his uh, sewing machine at home broke. And when he's there, one of the most popular girls in school, Marin, comes walks in, and he thinks, man, she's going to make fun of me and all this kind of stuff. And turns out she gets really excited. She's like, oh, you could do this stuff? That's amazing. And then she brings out this cosplay that she's been working on, and he criticizes it heavily about the work that she's done on it, the sewing and all the seams and everything like that. And she basically talks him into, you know, hey, can you help me make a cosplay for this character that I really, really love? And come to find out, obviously, that it's from a... Very, very edgy, <laughs> more more aimed to boys uh, visual novel, <laughs> but he agrees to it. And so the two of them kind of work together to create cosplay for Modern that uh, for characters that she really, really loves. And you kind of see the, the bonding that happens between the two of them as they grow together and, and explore the world of cosplay and all the things around it and um, meet other people. So your thoughts on my dress up darling? Little side t- uh, uh, tidbit: um, the if, if anybody that doesn't know the the dolls uh, are for Ladies' Day, if I remember right, um, it's an interesting aspect to consider that 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 a lot of the things that he is driven for um, was something that was also his frustration, and 
because of the fact that he, um, and this is something that shows in his growth as a character over the course of the, the show is that he, he's frustrated because he can't seem to get to a certain level that is similar to his grandfather. And, um, as he grows as a character, his, um, his craft becomes better. And this is one of those things that I absolutely love that they actually took the time to point that out. Um, and, and his grandfather even points it out and it was, it was almost this Miyazaki moment of, uh, um, and I, I absolutely thought about it when, when, when the grandpa pointed it out is, um, you have to, if you, if you're interested in art, if you want to be good at art, you have to have an interest in the thing that you're making art of. So in his case, he's trying to make art of dolls that reflect humanity. And he, because he has, he didn't have a lot of interest in humanity. He didn't, he was at this brick wall. And when he starts to grow as a character and taking interest in people around him, suddenly his craft started to grow. And I absolutely loved that that kind of moment was encapsulated in there. Um, other than that, I absolutely love a lot of the characters. I love the abs, the, 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 interplay between Gojo and, and Marin. They, they're just so adorable together. Um, I, I thought that the, the in, in cap of the story had a very fantastic moment. Um, it, it's just all around a great show. The artwork is absolutely fantastic. I love a lot of the cosplays. I love a lot of the, the, the sweet moments. I love a lot of the, um, the, the actual character art. Um, yeah, just love this show all around and highly, highly suggested. I don't know what you talk about all this mumbo jumbo. It's all about modern and how hot she is. <laughs> what, what in the hell are you talking about? There's no story in here. It's all about modern. Who is the plot? <laughs> no, it, it is one of those cases where when you, Obviously, when you're looking into My Dress Up Darling, the, or at least the thing that will draw you to want to look into My Dress Up Darling is obviously going to be a lot of the great, let's say, very cultured artwork of Marin. <laughs> she is pretty much the, the drawing. I, I felt like like Marin is the poster child, and then Gojo is the thing you come uh, you see when you come in the door. Is kind of the aspect there is, and and it and the both of them are great. I love the etchy of Modern. I love the cosplay that she gets in. She's a very gorgeous character. And Cloverworks puts in some amazing animation to this. Like, like this is like a rom-com, but yet is probably the most animated, besides maybe the Entertainment District arc of Demon Slayer, the most animated show in this, this entire season. It's just Cloverworks literally broke everybody just to animate this thing and make it look as incredible as possible. I mean, besides maybe one really interesting choice of animation style in one of the episodes that I felt was a little jarring, for the most part, this show just looks extremely lively. There's something to be said about making characters constantly move, their clothing, their hair, everything constantly flow to give it, again, kind of like I said with Akebi, a lively and actual natural human-looking look that makes it a little more easier to sell you on the character and the story they're telling. Um, but putting aside Hot Modern, <laughs> I do really love this show. I, I think it's one of those things where you get drawn in for the artwork and you end up finding a story. You end up, and it is it's shocking to me. And it was it was a shock. I mean, in the, even the first episode and even in the second episode, 
how much of the story was Gojo. Gojo does have a story here, and it's his growth, his coming out of his shell, and having new experiences. And like you technically said, these experiences that technically mold him as an artist. And to kind of put that alongside the element of cosplay, which is a is is honestly something surprisingly very uh, little uh, representation in anime. You would think there would be a lot of stories following cosplay when in fact it seems like you only really have a side character who will be in cosplay. I mean, yes, technically like something like um, Angel Flew Down Upon Me, they technically had one of the main characters was highly into cosplay, but it wasn't really technical about it. You do have like side characters in other shows, like uh, I can't think of the name of it, or in Genshinkin, Genshinkin? Um, that technically had a character in it that was into cosplay, but it's never usually typically the focus. And I felt like this was a strong focus on the cosplay. And so it was really interesting to get not only an insight into the industry itself, but also more of an, a beginner's uh, insight into it. Cause technically Gojo and Modern are newbies in the whole ordeal. You don't have until later on, you get into Juju's character um, where you get into somebody that's seemingly very serious about the art itself. Um, but mostly in, 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 the, in the perspective of a fan, and I do like that. It, you can technically have somebody that's super serious about cosplay and, and it's a business to them, which, again, is, I think, feeling more into the realm of Juju. Whereas I think Modern and and Gojo is coming into it from a perspective of Modern's love for the characters themselves and the love or something that you – love or something despite the fact that other people might look down upon it. And I, and I said several times when this show was airing that I felt like this was a perfect show for the perfect time. I think in the wake of things that kind of unraveled with last year, um, the um, you know obviously the anime awards and what people loved and what people hated, it's one of those perspectives of loving something you love despite the fact that others don't like it. And the idea that despite the fact that people will look down upon you for loving something, in the case with Martin, loving this one character that's from, again, technically a boy's visual novel that's very erotic – she doesn't feel like other people appreciate the thing that she appreciated, and it wasn't until Gojo would view it and give it time that she felt like somebody else appreciated something that she loved. We love things and we want others to experience the same love that we have, and that doesn't always pan out that they enjoy it, but at least they give a shot. And to have that kind of be cornerstoned early on in the series, I felt like it was the perfect statement for the perfect time and i feel like cosplay in general is the perfect vessel for that how better express this idea of loving something and trying to express that love than cosplaying it becoming the character that you love so much to so others can find out about it and see it through you and it and, it, and again it technically hits heavily on the idea of doing something despite the fact that you might not have the body figure for it having those moments where characters feel like they don't feel like they fit the character but still doing it because they love it and hopefully others accepting them for loving that certain thing. And like I said, I think that was kind of one of those core story beats in this, despite the fact that yes, modern's hot, <laughs> that it's telling, it's giving these messages of acceptance and coming together between other people that will accept you and finding that vessel that you can express that love for something that I really did appreciate. And seeing the characters grow through that concept was really fantastic. But I also really like the fact that in in despite in, in in amongst that, that being kind of the core story, the cosplay, building different cosplays, having in the middle of that this really cute bonding relationship between Gojo and Modern that I really did love. Modern is a goofball 
and you kind of are gravitated to her because she's a goofball. She loves geeky, ota- uh, geeky otaku things. And similarly with Gojo and having his insecurities and finding something and seeing things a little bit differently than most people do because he's so kind of socially awkward was a treat as well. And just seeing these two and you're like, they're just a lovable couple. You root for them. You want this. You want to see them to come together. And when, when things kind of get crazy towards the later parts, it's just, it's, it's great. It's just absolute gold to see. And you just want to see what they do next and how they can come together because you love them both. You love Gojo. You want to see him succeed. You want to see him get better and then you love Marin because she's so cute and she has this geeky side to her and she loves to get out there and be very forward. And again, seeing the two of them clash in their personalities and eventually hopefully bond is uh, definitely a huge treat of the series that I I couldn't wait to see next episode every single week. So and yeah, again, amazing, amazing animation as always with Clovework. So not always, but seemingly now. <laughs> It definitely put Cloverworks on the map. This show definitely put Cloverworks on the map. So that was the kind of thing I kind of mentioned. We haven't got a second season announcement for it yet, and I really want it. But it is definitely one of those ones where I see there's a benefit to a second season. Like, again, from Cloverworks' perspective, this is a benefit because it's it's putting them on the map. They've done a lot of crazy stuff in the past, but this is definitely the one that was the most popular uh, for a lot of people. Obviously, it, it bumps sales for the manga, and that's always a promising thing for the publishers. So... I really do hope this does get a second season. I think it should, and it deserves a second season. Um, I think it has pretty close to enough for a second season, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, definitely a huge suggestion for me, if you're okay with Yechi, because there's there's quite a bit. <laughs> it loves it loves showing different parts of Mara, and it gets real close into her. She's definitely a selling point, but um, there's a lot more to her. She's not just panty shots, so... It was funny that we 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 got got into a, a, an interesting discussion of um, uh, waifu characters and and the breakouts and all that stuff. So it was it was a fun fun discussing modern in general in 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 Discord on this one. Yeah, everybody's pretty much like, yeah, waifu of the year, and it's like, well, there's technically a few other ones coming up, so we'll see we'll see how. <laughs> I, I'll be curious to see how much She's- modern keeps people's keeps in people's minds throughout the year because it's always like the first of the year that always kind of leaves people minds for the end of the year yeah it's it it it, it, it is funny that, that how much of a breakthrough she was and and i suspect she will linger a little while and I, I think that has to do with like i said before it's it's yes it's she's hot she's a hot gyaru and she does cosplay but i think again it's the geeky side of her that i think it's like the here's the here's the draw the attention drawer and here's the thing that sells you and it is definitely like the the whole scene where she first shows Gojo her room. It's like, this is definitely your your room, right? And she's like, "Yep, why?" <laughs> it's like, "Yep, that's totally her." She's got a bunch of hot waifus all over her walls and body pillows and stuff. And you're like, "Yep, that's that's modern." And then you have like this pivotal scene in the ep- the, the entire series, and she just sticks out her tongue. I'm like. That's yeah, modern. yes, I that one. I loved that. I busted up laughing so hard because it just was. It's so modern. It is, and, and I it, it, it but it was like left left field. I was I was feeling the moment. It was such a kind of, for a lack of a better term, a romantic scene, and it was it looked beautiful. The the mood was perfect. Everything was perfect about that moment. And then she just turns her head and just black. And I was like, you are so <laughs> sort of dork. Oh, I love her. Love her. Yeah, and every time she breaks, like you, you feel like she's so forward and she's so comfortable with herself. But then there's these boundaries that she keeps hitting. And it's like, 
I like that it it kind of gives you this impression that she's like this very loose person, but then every now and then you're like, no, she's got boundaries. Like she does have a point in which she does kind of break, and it's it's great. Yeah, grab squeak. Yeah. Anyways, love it, love it. Next one. This is just bam, bam, bam. I don't know. I didn't I didn't plan for this. I just kind of put it in the list. Ranking the Kings or also my ranking. This one streamed on Funimation Ram for 23 episodes. I think it was also on Crunchyroll. Uh, this was done by Wit Studio. It's based on a manga. The genre's art adventure fantasy. The series competition by Taku Kishimoto, who did Balance Unlimited, Erased, 91 Days, Silver Spoon, uh, Bunny Drop. And this one follows a prince named Boji. And unfortunately for Boji, he is pretty much the laughing stock of the entire kingdom. He unfortunately, not you know, beyond his control, he was born deaf and in effect unable to speak. And so as he's walking around very happy and, and looking forward to the day that she, he'd become king. Like he looks he looks up to his father and he's so excited for the day that he'll become a king and become a great leader that everybody looks up to. And unfortunately, again, as he's walking around, everybody's pretty much mocking him. They find him to be a disgrace of the kingdom. Even the queen herself believes that he shouldn't go out because he's literally a disgrace. He should just stay hidden away. Well, one day he ends up stumbling upon... The last remaining member of the Shadow Clan, Kage. And Kage is this little shadow, a uh, little thief. And Kage basically talks Boji into stealing stuff for him. Because Kage is like the first person that's able to understand Boji and communicate to Boji. And so Boji's really excited. He's met his first, what he thinks is a friend. So he starts stealing things from the castle for him. <laughs> Going back to the castle, but almost butt-naked because he leaves behind his clothes to Kage. And eventually Kage follows him and discovers another side of Boji, that Boji does have insecurities. When he's alone away in his room, he breaks down in tears. He under, he understands people. He understands that people are making fun of him, despite the fact that he's trying so hard to be a good king and a good prince. Well, Kage makes the decision at that point. He's going to support Boji. He's going to be his one supporter to help him become the king that he dreams to become and to support him along the entire journey. And so... Beyond that, it essentially gets into the whole kingship, the rulership of the kingdom itself, eventually getting into other kingdoms, uh, and, as the title would lead you to believe, the ranking of king system, which is essentially this kind of contest in this world where each of the kings kind of compete against each other to become number one rank in the ranking of kings. And it's not just based on strength. It's based on how your followerships, you know, people respect you, how you look upon your kingdom, uh, the people love you, how strong you are, of course, is addition as well, um, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And, of course, the dark, glooming threat in the background that seems to be puppeteering uh, change within the kingdom itself and the leadership that uh, is unfolding. So, your thoughts? It's going to be a difficult one to unpack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, one, of, one of the things that I do... Um, be, uh, just just a too long didn't read part of this i love the show just 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 gonna save you the trouble there you go then it's next one <laughs> one of the things that i do truly love about this this story um is going into it you you're in this kind of the it, it starts out very simply of and and i've i've made no no bones about how much i love uh underdog stories and this show absolutely screams that all the way through it. Um, you have the underdog uh, with Boji. Uh, nobody likes him. He's just just this this kind of 
frustration that nobody uh, – that everybody deals with and um, you kind of just know that he, he he doesn't – he has all the odds stacked against him. Yet he is going to persevere and push through this and that sets you up at, for this just this fantastic uh, uh, journey that you're going to go through in, in this story. So that that's kind of how it starts out. How it ends becomes a a weaving story of redemption upon redemption upon redemption upon redemption. And this is one of the things that I absolutely love. I've screamed several times that every character every character should deserve a redemption arc. They they deserve it. Now, whether or not that redemption arc, if you want to accept that redemption arc or not, that's on you. But when I when it comes down to it, they should all deserve a redemption arc. And this is real life or in stories. Redemptions are one of those things that are very, very hard to play in a story because you have to prove that the um that character has motivations that are in some cases, not necessarily always a pure motivation, but they they have some kind of a reason for what they're doing. And you have to make that believable. One of the best examples of redemption in, in this this show, and I, I scream it, I, I absolutely love healing. I think she is a, such a fantastic character in this story that is very very misunderstood at the beginning um you 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 think that you understand her motivations you think you understand who she is you, she comes off as this cersei all the way through for those of you that know game of thrones she just is this i am entitled i am the queen you will bow down to whatever my whims are at any moment and then by the end of the show you walk away understanding who she is and she is very misunderstood at the beginning of the story. And I love that. And she even, even in her, in her reflecting upon her own actions, she even notes that she made mistakes. And I love that she does that. These are the things that, that such, there's no, I, I can only think of one character that I kind of wish there was some kind of a handling of that story a little bit more than what they did. I'm not, I'm not saying that I disagree with what they did. I just felt that it should have been done a little bit more. Um, and that's that's the only frustration. And maybe the, if if this story is continuing past this point, maybe they do get into that. But it is one of those things that there's. I it felt like no character was left just off to the wayside. Every character was well thought out. The motivations were well thought out. The they were all written in such a way that I. It all made sense and it all came together in this culmination of these moments towards the end that I was like, I, w- I walked away very satisfied with the story, very happy with what I got. And I, it's another one that I, I highly suggest. Yeah. I think besides the gods, the Oaken and Desha, I think everything was pretty much put to rest in a, in a really solid way. So I do really feel very satisfied with the ending of this, and I don't feel like I'm, 
I have to. I, I do want to read the manga. If this doesn't get a second season, I I probably will end up getting the manga just because I love how this this writer writes characters. I mean, I would I would probably say if I if I if I had a theme to add to this story, it, it's going to be forgiveness. Like this writer loves the idea of forgiveness, and again, very much so. Chris nailed it on the head. It doesn't always paint it in the way that every character is redeemed because it gives it it gives it a sign that you you know they do terrible things or if they may have done terrible things or it maybe can misconstrued as terrible things you don't always have to accept the outcome but it is presenting it as this can be forgiven correct it it gives it gives the yes technically all the characters are going to decide if they want to accept it or not but it gives the viewer the leeway of you you can accept it or not but that's what's kind of being told um, redemption arcs or just the a- aspect of forgiveness. And I think that's, I think this writer really loves that concept because it seems like it's prevalent throughout the story is this idea of, again, people misconstruing what somebody's doing, misinterpreting what somebody's doing, not seeing both sides of the coin or just flat out somebody wronged you and you can choose if you want to move on or not. Um, but it, beside that, the thing that I love so much about ranking of Kings, I love the world. I love the way that it presents fantasy into this medieval type setting. Um, it, it doesn't just kind of overwhelm you with fantasy settings and magic and dream, demons and stuff like that. It kind of presents it in a way that it kind of piecemeals it out. You kind of get an idea that it's accepted in this world that it exists or not. And then it kind of just slowly gives it to you. It never, it never kind of has suddenly I know where somebody's just throwing fireballs at everybody. It's just, it kind of is a presence there that is um, again, not, not overwhelming in the, in the sense. But again, I think my, the thing I love so much most about this writer and this story is the characters. This writer is a genius at characters. Every character that is presented. Yeah. Minus maybe a couple thugs that were in the later parts of the series that I'm sure we'll probably get into more later on. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Every, I won't, I won't put anything past anything anymore. Um, every character that's presented, each has a story. Some are less, you know, grandiose than others, but they all have a story and they're all multi-dimensional characters. They're not just what you see. There's not just the chivalrous knight that always does good. There's not just the assassin that's always going to kill people. There's not just the great king that will always be a great king. Everybody has so many layers to their character and it's unraveled over time. And they're not just stuck characters. They're not straight characters. They're d- dynamic characters that have shifts and pivots in how they see the current situations. There's going to be betrayals. There are going to be betrayals upon betrayals. And that's what I think makes these characters so great. Most of my episode-by-episode episode impressions that I was doing for this show was so filled with what I think the character's thinking and what they're going to do next. Because every character in every episode is doing something that I'm like, I can see why they're doing that. And I can't wait to see what they do next because they're all fantastic characters. And it didn't dawn on me until like kind of Chris already kind of threw out there healing. Healing was the first case where I was like, holy crap, this writer knows how to make characters. This, this writer knows how to make characters not always be a big billboard of what they think you have to see and, and get into what, what they're thinking to find out why they're doing what they're doing. And it might not be for the best interest of every character around them, but it's in the best interest in their own mind. And that tells me they're fantastic characters. 
And I felt like that with every character, even the quote unquote bad guys of the show. I love Desha and Desha is like, he's technically like the king of the underworld. You would think that he's the big bad guy and he does look like he's a big bad guy. But then you realize you do realize that he could probably smash him into the wall so easily, but he doesn't. You're like, I love this character. I love all these characters. And he's laughing at this guy for how weak he is. And I'm like, but he doesn't kill him. It shows you how fantastic the characters are and how much you want to see them grow. Even Oaken, who seems like the most devilish character in this. Like he's a, he's a, he's like the one character I think in this entire series is like the backwards of the, of all the other characters. He's kind of backwards. He's like, he's, (laughs) he's the character that when you see him, you're like, this is the epitome of evil. Like this guy is so nasty. But then you get into it, and I'm like, I want his redemption arc. I want his redemption arc. Yeah. I know he's evil. I know he's done t- – well, technically with Desha, he's done terrible things in the past. But you want to see what the writer does. You're not agreeing with what the character did, obviously, but you're curious to see what the writer does with them. And I have that feeling, again, with every character in the show. Like, even this random orc guy that shows up at some point, Gigan. I'm like, (laughs) I want to see what they do with Gigan. He's this big, oofy guy. But then you get his backstory, and you're like, I want to see more of this dude. Um, That's every character. And I love every character presented. And I wanted to see what the writer did with them. And I cannot express enough. I think this is easily one of the greatest shows in the past probably 10, maybe 20 years um, easily because this writer knows how to write characters. And I think characters of anything drives a story better than anything else. You can have a great overarching plot. You can have great themes. You can have great character moments, but characters themselves drives a story. And I think having every character like Bevan, like Bevan was a character that I was like, I'm not sure what he was going to do with Bevan. I'm like, I love Bevan. <laughs> I think again, healing the moment I realized more about healing. I'm like, God, I love healing. Like, healing is easily the greatest female character last year, this year, probably for a long time. (laughs) Love her to death. She's she's the character that I, I, when when I had that final moment with her, uh, and and I I absolutely teared up, and I was like, oh my gosh, she is... If there was, I mean, I I know that we we just got, came off of Marin and 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 me pointing out the the fact that she's going to be one of those waifu characters. <laughs> it is kinda... one of those things where you like everybody thinks that Marin is going to be the best waifu of the year. I'm like, what the hell? Where's where's healing? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I I love healing. She came out out of nowhere, and I fell so hard in love with her. She is so fantastic of a character. Um, and I, it, I definitely all the, the mom lists need to be adjusted. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Best moms. She, and, and, and it is one of those things. Going back to what Andrew was saying, I, 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 when I had mentioned there's one character that I, I'm, I'm kind I kind of wish I had more on and it was Oaken that Andrew had mentioned. Yeah. He is the character. He's, the only, that, he's probably the only little line of, of plot that i was like i kind of wish i had more yeah because he he had a fantastic backstory and you can kind of fill in the uh the the holes in 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 his storyline to get to where he is um just because of what my crazy theories i made a video on <laughs> oh did you i i i, I, I made I a go whole theory video and i, I kind of talked to you a little bit about some of it i, I mean just just filling in the holes you can kind of see where it went from from where he was into where he is now and it's one of those things that you kind of just want to see at least a putting his story to rest. And, and and that is the one thing that's like, like I had mentioned, 
if this story goes forward, I I trust this writer enough. This is this is how fantastic this writer is. I can trust that writer enough with everything that he's done so far that I know that Oaken will get a satisfying story. Whether or not you feel that it will be a redemption, it will be a satisfying story for him. As it stands right now, it's not truly satisfying because it's not it doesn't do justice for where he came from and into where he was. This is what I'm trying to say is each one of these characters, their motivations are not necessarily always what they seem at first. It it's there's always these these hidden agendas that all that motivation makes sense when all is said and done as to why they were doing what they were doing. The the other thing that I I do want to address is there's obviously a f- kind of a the book by its cover aspect this is definitely one of those ones when you've seen the the key art for and you see this wide circle headed boji on the cover you're like holy crap we're going back into the 80s for art style here i do think it's it's interesting to note that i do find the art style charming but it's one of those ones where the art style isn't really an indication of some sort of it's going to be cartoonishy or something like that. This is it. This does have a lot of violence in it. But it's it's one of those things that it again a kind of a sign of how good the writing is. Is despite the fact that every character looks extremely different, some characters look extremely cartoonish. It all fits together. I mean, you have Desha who has like the whole you know very sharp oval mouth that goes beyond his his cheeks. It's like very weird art style, but in the moment of the show, it all feels alive. They all feel like breathing characters that have such good writing behind them that it feels like a natural world that all fits together. And I, I just kind of appreciate that aspect. Obviously, since it's Switch Studio, they did some absolutely amazing animation in the series. I mean, some of the opening sequences pretty much just sell you on the show itself. But there's so many amazing animation pieces and their ability to really kind of portray scale and stuff like that was so well done. Like I remember a, a later fight in the whole the whole series is technically not a a scale thing, but in the eyes of the character it becomes portrayed as a scale thing. And the way they pulled that off was absolutely fantastic. So yeah, massive credits for the animation. Loved it to death. So yeah. And be ready to cry a lot because <laughs> every time Boji cries I cry. <laughs> I want Boji to be happy. All right, next one we have is Orient. This one was streaming on Crunchyroll. We have uh, 12 episodes that ran for. We also have a second core that was already announced for it that will be streaming and, you know, broadcasting in summer. Uh, the studio is ACGT, Sources of Manga. Genres are action and fantasy. The director on this one was Tatsuya uh, Yanagisawa, who did High School DxD. And, of course, the creator behind the original manga <clears throat> is Shinobu Otaka, who, of course, is known for doing Magi. And something like that. <laughs> and this one takes place in uh, seemingly a feudal Japan sort of setting. At some point, uh, these oni appeared and pretty much took over the lands of Hinamoto, kind of dividing the people. They kind of get at some point this idea that some people kind of accept the oni as being like the gods and want to serve them and mine up ore to feed to them. While, of course, some people decide that, you know, they're Oni, and we need to take them out, and they become branded as the Bushi, and the Bushi go around and essentially fight against the Oni, 
And uh, we end up following a guy named Musashi who is in one particular town that is a mining town that is serving the Oni. But Musashi was raised by a former Bushi. And this Bushi is kind of instilled upon him and uh, his grand his, his son, Kojiro, that, you know, Bushi are honorable people that fought against the Oni and that could should be a thing that happens in the future. So Musashi claims eventually he's going to rise up and become a Bushi, but eventually after they kind of confront the Oni, they realize, you know, they're not so good, not so tough, <laughs> end up getting saved by a, a band of Bushi and then eventually set out into the world uh, carrying the scroll that was left behind by their, their master and, and seeking power to fight against the Oni and the swords that you need to fight against them and all that kind of stuff. So your thoughts on Orient. When I watched this show, um, I got through the first few episodes and I kind of dropped off mostly, uh, just for time sake and, um, ended up going back and realizing when I got back to it, that the, what I was kind of looking for, for a lack of a better term, um, was the next episode. So, this is one of those shows that is very much a taking its time to set up everything. And I I find myself in this weird predicament of I, I really, really loved Magi. Um, I, I like the way that this writer has a knack for um, building its its world and at the same time taking taking time with the characters and developing them individually. Um, this one is one of the, a, a bit more frustrating to me, um, in most of the fact of while it does decently well with its characters, I wish it did more, but I'm hoping that it's just a saving those cards for later on. Um, and this is one of those that I, I desperately want to see the next season of mostly because I know this writer is good. I, 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 I I've seen what this 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 writer can do. Um, I I have a lot of desire to go back to Samomo Momo, um, mostly because I I as much as I know that people love Magi, I do know that a lot of people love Samomo as well, and so I I'm I'm in this kind of weird situation of hoping that it's just that we haven't gotten to the point where this show real or this story really opens up. And in the next season, it, it, it will actually really open up. I, it does have all of the hallmarks. It has the factions set up. It has the um, setting up of a wild card per se. It has the it set up of a um, quote unquote bad guy, um, if you want to call them that. Um, so it, it does have a lot of things in, in it that are naturally set up for a kind of shonen-esque epic system that you're going to end up going into and watching forever in a day. So I do love that. Um, other, but other than that, I'm, I'm just generally ambivalent and I, I enjoy what has been set up so far. Yeah, I think the biggest problem that Orient has is it's his slow burn. And with so many series that really are vibing for your that are, you know, striving for your attention. It's like, it's the one that's going, you know, I'm going to take my time. Everybody's also like, uh, you better get good. I got this other show I can watch. And like, uh, no, I'm going to take my time. <laughs> and so there is a struggle there. And especially within the idea of like suggesting Orient is that it's just like, 
it's taking its time and it's not really doing anything that's grabbing attention early on. Now, granted, yes, it gets into more things later on with like the swords that they have to wield in order to fight the Oni. And obviously the special thing about Musashi that's going to make him unique to everybody else has to eventually get into those kind of things. And it's like, it's one of those things that when you get to it, you can't really say, well, wait eight episodes when it gets its kind of unique aspect and decide from that point if it's interesting because it's not really a a sell. <laughs> it's not a sell at all. I think this is going to be one of those ones where until it gets to that big punchline, you're going, okay, then I have to tell everybody, you know, you have to watch for 20 episodes to get to that great point that sells the series as a whole for it going forward. It's It's kind of a... It's kind of an artifact of the old shonens, and that's a hard sell for a lot of people, especially as I've kind of noted several times before. It feels like these days, the big shonen epics right now are these things with bombastic and large amounts of uh, budget being poured into them with insane studios doing insane animations like Demon Slayer, Jujutsu Kaisen, My Hero Academia, these shows that are now the new shonen epics that are having these huge amounts of budget put into them. ACGT barely held this show together. It is not a good-looking show, in my opinion. It has great art style. Don't get me wrong. I think I think of anything that has been dri- driving me for the longest time to check out Magi, and I haven't yet, is I love Shinobu Otaka's work. Like, the art style is fantastic. And this has kind of a similar look to it. And I love that for it. I think that's the big, that was the big original reason why I decided to watch this show, despite not watching Magi. I'm like... I've always wanted to watch Magi. This is a current season. This is on. I want to see what they do with the art style. And I still agree. A lot of these character designs are fantastic and a lot of very unique character designs. I joked about it and I questioned the idea that <laughs> all the female characters seem to have scars on their chest. <laughs> and it seems to be a staple for them. But that's that art style and I love it. It's a very unique art style. Tsugumi's art style is fantastic. I kind of like uh, Musashi's art style as well. Um, but it's not enough to sell a show when the animation is just not really there. Like the animation for the most part is just barely struggling to get any fights together. But, um, yeah, I think of the earlier segments with Mishashi stuck in the mining, uh, town and that kind of conflict, whether to be a part of this mining town or become a Bushi. Eh. But when it kind of gets out of that town, moves on, starts getting into Sugumi's story, that's when you kind of start seeing the writer's ability to kind of put together some, these conflicts within characters that I think is, I guess, a staple within his writing or her writing that I do enjoy. Now, getting into beyond that with the sword and everything, it's like, eh, it's that typical fanfare of here's the unique ability within the main character that's going to make them strong. I will give it credit for having that that aspect be something that's questionable like you don't really know if it's a good thing or a bad thing now granted that's something similar to something like naruto technically the the fox within naruto is always a big question mark as well but it it does add a little bit of a twist to it just despite it being just okay there's a there's a waifu within him that's super powerful no it, it, we don't even know what this thing is and if you can even trust it that kind of element to it so I don't know. It's it's a it's one of those series where I don't even know if I can suggest it unless you like the art style and you want to see this long running series and where it goes. But at the same time, it's it's also one that I can't really suggest because it hasn't gotten that point where I'm like, holy crap, this is doing something really unique that I want to see more of. And yeah, I kind of agree with Chris. I think that's probably going to be something that we'll hopefully see in the second core, which I will definitely be watching when that comes around in summer. But so far. Besides Ryu Takahashi being Sugumi, 
it was a hard it was a hard pill to swallow uh, for most of this series, but I kind of wanted to see what they could possibly do with the story, and again get that perspective of what Magi is, despite the fact I've never been actually watched Magi. So, yeah, it's a it's a hard sell, but um, if any of that's interesting to you, definitely check it out. Moving on, Slow Loop. Stream on Funimation uh, is done by Studio Connect. The source is a manga. The genres are slice of life sports. This one is directed by Noriaki Akitaka Akitaya, who did Cast on Dandelion, uh, Active Raid, Are You the Only One Who Loves Me? Uh, this one is also a series composition by Yuka Yamada, who did Maid Dragon, as well as Aohara Ride, Nanambiori, and Wataten. And this one takes place following a girl named Hiori, and Hiori uh, likes to do fly fishing. You kind of get an idea really quickly that she was taught how to do fly fishing by her late father, who's unfortunately passed away. And as she's kind of enjoying fly fishing one day, a girl named Kohara shows up and just decides that she wants to jump into the water. Well, she's quickly stopped by Hiori, and eventually the two of them kind of hang out together. Hiori shows Koharu the whole ropes about doing uh, fly fishing until eventually she's like, oh, sorry, I got to go. I got to go meet my new sister and my new father because my mother's getting remarried. And Kohara's like, oh, that's convenient. I'm about to meet my new sister and my new mother. So, yeah, just so happens they're they're new sisters. The two of them are going to be sisters going forward. And so it kind of follows them as you, you get a little more into Hiori, the loss of her father, the fishings that she's doing, um, get into Koharu and... You know, all the, the loss that she's kind of faced. And the two of them kind of come together, along with Koi, who is a childhood friend of, of Hiori. And the three of them kind of explore fishing. And at the same time, you get a little sense of, you know, the idea of loss and healing and moving forward kind of thing. So, your thoughts on cute girls doing fishing with crying? <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, like Andrew had mentioned, there's, a, there's, some, there's themes of loss. There's themes of acceptance. Um, uh, there's also some, uh, things that I kind of picked up was there's, uh, being true to yourself. Um, uh, in a lot of cases, the, the, one of the things that does kind of really shine is it, it takes a, um, a, a heartwarming, uh, method of taking each one of these characters and placing them in situations where I, one of the things that we kind of, uh, talked about when we were doing our first impressions of, that that really kind of chimed with uh with me in in particular um was this being true even though there is a um something that is like like Andrew had mentioned this loss aspect of um these characters have lost a a loved one and one in particular character something that she truly loves is tied in with a with the person that she lost and so this kind of being true to yourself and not necessarily allowing that thing that you truly love to get bogged down in those bittersweet memories and 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 inadvertently walking away from what you really truly love. And so there is there's a lot of those 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 themes going throughout this sto- this storyline and, and going into latter episodes you you start introducing some other characters who are um, like I was mentioning, the the be true to yourself, who are are kind of um, in 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 some ways they're they're through society being told that you shouldn't do the thing that you love, um, and then t- 
turning around and sharing that which you truly love with the people that you you care about and and so those stories storylines are throughout this entire show and it's very touching in the in a lot of the cases that they uh the ways that they do those things and very heartwarming and sweet and of course this is cute girls doing cute things so it's all done with that bow on top of Oh, how cute they're doing it. They're, they're, they're tying a fly, uh, uh, in, in, uh, on a hook. And it's, it's so, I, I, I absolutely love this show. Um, it's, it's sweet and just a lot of fun. I think a lot of the conflict that we were having early on was I was mentioning to people that Slow Loop was a fantastic show because it's cute girls doing cute things, but it's making me cry a bunch. And everybody's like, but it's not like a, 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 you know, a, a tragic show. And I'm like, yeah, I know that, but it's still sad. <laughs> like it's this whole idea of having a cute girls doing cute things. They're obviously doing fishing. They're obviously cute. I connected a great job on it. I kept reminding myself that it wasn't Dogokobo because Dogokobo always does the really great, you know, cute girls doing cute things shows. But it's just really this aspect of having something that's very personal. Like you, you have, like I mentioned earlier with Akebi's Sailor Uniform, this idea of slice of life are generally typically good for people whenever they can relate to the situation. And obviously related to this a lot. Having Hiori right off the bat talking about her losing her father. And I'm like, yeah, we just recently lost our father. And then she's talking about all these things that her father taught her and that she's doing. And I'm like, yeah, there was a lot of things that whenever I think about certain things, I think about my father because he taught us those things. So there was a lot of relatability in this idea of having that void like, Hiori has lost something, and she has this void that is now there, and she's kind of not really trying to f- replace that void. She's trying to find some way of kind of moving forward with that void in presence. And it, it even kind of has the same case with Koharu, and you realize Koharu has a different perspective of it. She's constantly positive, and I'm just waiting for this girl to break, and I don't really necessarily think we got it, but having somebody else next to her that has had that same loss and having that equation happen between the two of them. And then again, technically, like I said earlier, finding new memories and kind of replacing that sorrow with new memories and new experiences and stuff that they can do together. And so while I was uh, several times throughout the series, kind of very emotional and crying, I also had this aspect of it. It was always a positive show. It wasn't dwelling in it. It wasn't saying, look at me be sad it was always kind of just recalling it and it was that was enough for me so it's not as if i'm saying the show is a, a you know a drag that it's a it's an emotionally depressing show it's just it's that aspect of these characters acknowledging that they've lost something but again like i said earlier being positive high spirit moving forward that technically that's the whole concept of koharu at some point we get into this idea that this other girl koi who i think is fantastic uh, Koi is a childhood friend of Hiori, and her mentioned the idea that she's kind of upset at herself because she never could do what Koharu did. Koharu is the one that shows up and brings Hiori out of that darkness and starts doing things with her. And Koi is like, I wish I was the one that did it. I felt like I couldn't do anything, but yet here's this person. It was almost a jealousy thing. Like, here's this person that's doing exactly what I thought I couldn't do, and she was a little jealous of it. But it was really that idea that Koharu was the one that came in and said, let's move forward and find new positive things and explore things that ended up pulling Hiyori out of that. And I think that was a – that's the show. Like that's Slow Loop. Koharu is the embodiment of Slow Loop and the idea that she is that embodiment of moving forward and that positive nature. No, it doesn't – again, doesn't replace that void. It kind of just builds on it and you move forward from it. And again, technically – 
forcing Hiori to constantly do this fly fishing thing. That is exactly the thing that reminds her so much about her father, but she doesn't let that bog her down. And I think that was in a sense, what exactly I wanted from this show, like besides, because I relate to Hiori and that idea of loss. I kind of relate in her and the idea of moving forward and finding new memories. You're, you're right. Koi is a, a, a fantastic um, piece of the story in which she didn't do anything wrong. She was there for her friend and she, she tried to be that um, when, when he needed somebody, she was there. And she was a like like I said she she was a fantastic character for what she represented. I like that later uh, on acknowledged the idea that she never changed, and that was what was special about her. Yeah, when he already said that, I love the fact that you never changed. Everything else changed, but you were the one thing that never changed. And Koi never realized that. It was like, oh gosh, no again. <laughs> <laughs> the eyes they burn. It, it, it is. It's. It's. It. She. She's a fantastic um, friend in in what she was doing. She was there for her when she needed her. She was like Andrew was saying. She was always there. She was this rock that she needed, and but she also inadvertently became the rock. She. She couldn't. Not that rock. Not the one that yeah, dances yeah, in a tutu yeah. for a girl in a movie. She. She couldn't push her out of it and, and and rightly so if she had pushed her forward she could have done more damage than she inadvertently that she didn't really want to do and koharu coming into the situation with a pair of fresh eyes and she had she had that um that loving nature that just that that he already needed to kind of push her through that that moment and in 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 a lot of cases, if if Koi had pushed her, she probably would have uh, inadvertently forced her into. Uh, and and I'm 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 just trying to think through my emotions and how that would have, um, uh, what would have caught what would have happened in that situation, and maybe inadvertently she would have ended up hating. Uh, fly fishing, and she didn't really need that. She needed somebody fresh that could have just pushed her through and still being able to, like I said, be true to herself and love what she wanted instead of just abandoning it all together as that painful memory of, I would love to, but I can't because all I can think about is my dad. And it, it, so it, it, yes, Koi was a perfect, both of these, actually both girls are, were crucial in the story. Yeah, I think the only thing that I I would probably, if you dragged a negative out of me, I would probably say that later on the whole aspect of the, because it's cute girls and cute things. And so, it, it like I said before, it's technically like cute girls, heartwarming moments, fly fishing or fishing in general, technically, and then the, the idea of loss and moving forward. Like those are the cornerstones of this series that I think makes it special. I will admit that later on, it gets to a point where I think the fishing stuff gets a little bit much. So I felt like I, I, I'm not interested in fishing at all. And that typically with cute girls doing cute things, it's typically me being introduced and looking into something that I don't normally look into. And I'm usually entertained because despite the fact that I'm not interested in that particular thing, because cute girls doing cute things. So I don't, I want to say that later on I was kind of like, eh, I, I just really don't care about this fishing. It's always cutely introduced by the characters, but at some point I just, I think, I feel like it got a little bit too heavy on that end. But other than that, the rest of it was just, 
it was it was special and like i said i think a lot of it has to do with relatability to the lost and moving forward so yeah that's that's slow loop check that out if you are interested in the land of Liddell, or Liddell no Daichinite, this one was streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes, done by studio Maho Films. The source is a light novel, and the genres are adventure and fantasy. This follows Kena, and Kena is, unfortunately, due to an accident, pretty much on life support, and the only kind of outlet that she's had while on life support was playing a VR MMO game called Liddell. And at some point, uh, they assume it seems like it seems like there's evidence there that the they had a power outage or and some sort of loss of power to her life support system, and they assume that she passed away. And she's appeared in that game that she's always played, Liddell, two hundred years into the future in the game, <laughs> and she's not really sure why she's there. Not sure why two hundred years has passed. Uh, kind of accept the idea that she may have died, but she's now there. And she's trying to figure out if there's other players in this world or if she's just in the world itself. There's some things that she kind of sees that are a little bit different in the world itself. But she kind of makes it her goal that she's going to go to all these kind of towers. These towers were kind of like where the the key, like, highest players had these towers that are like almost like caches where you can put all of your stuff into. And so she goes to her tower as well as some other towers to kind of, again, investigate to see if these other players that she played with are possibly in this world. And... All that kind of stuff. And again, kind of, oh yeah, there was also this aspect that <laughs> when she was playing the game 200 years prior in this world, uh, she used this whole adoption system where you can essentially adopt a, a, an actual NPC character in the world. And now it's 200 years in the future. And so now they're kind of grown up. <laughs> so she's got these kids in this world. And uh, she kind of sees things a little bit differently now. Uh, obviously, a little bit of her mindset is changing from, you know, there being NPCs around her to more there being, you know, people that she now has to live with and everything. So it kind of shifts her mentality of how she views the Liddell world. So your thoughts? Um, I do love this show. I, I, I love the kind of family themes that it, it puts through the story. Um, it, it, it definitely kind of loves the idea of... <sighs> how do I put this? This is, this is a show that I have a hard time with kind of putting how I feel about it into words because I, I don't think it's necessarily the most fantastic show in the world. It's, it, it, it does what it does and it does it well. Um, it, like I said, I enjoy the interactions between, uh, kind of, and Kena, Kenya or whatever. And, and her, her, adopted character or uh family they they're absolutely goofy as all get out and and her interactions with them were just too much fun um where i think this show really shines is the character interactions more than anything else this it it has these really fun just enjoyable moments and as 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 she goes through the storyline you she she falls more and more in love with the world it seems like and she just becomes more and more protective of the world almost like she was saying this is my world and i will protect it and she almost laid down the law of this is not going to happen around me and so i do like that that she she seemed to become more and more in uh invested in protecting it um so i i do like a lot of those those aspects but 
in some cases, it just felt like it was meandering a lot. Um, like it was trying to find what it was that it really wanted to do, but not at the same time. It didn't want to go full bore into this, uh, go from tower to tower to tower to tower to tower. Um, it really wanted to tell this, this story of her just experiencing the world. And that I think is where this, this story just really shines of her just enjoying the world and loving the characters in the world. And that's where I am. I, I, I like, I like a lot of aspects of it and some things I, I kind of just wish were a little bit more done. There was more done to them. Yeah. I think the, the difficulty that I face really is I, I don't feel like I enjoyed most of this show outside of Kana and the whole parental thing. Like I, I, cause I think that's where the gold is. This is a very, especially early on, I wasn't really sold on the show at all. Um, it wasn't until she starts getting into the kids, Cartots, Scargo, Mai Mai starts getting into those aspects and that, She's not really a mother, but she's technically a mother figure. And so there's a little bit of an element of air of, of this kind of young person just accepting that this is something that she has to kind of deal with. And Kaina's personality is literally the show. Like, I love her personality. She's definitely not your typical main character. She's obviously a female character being an isekai, which is rare in itself. Um, she's an isekai female character that's not just going to another world to be romanced. It's just her relaxing and enjoying the world that she's in because she's never really had that experience or that opportunity in the previous world. Again, she was uh, injured very young and she's been a life support. So now this is, again, her escape that was originally a video game that now is kind of becoming her reality. This is a place that she has to be. And having those unknowns about what's in the world, who's in the world, um, what exactly, you know, what's her future, there's un- uncertainties that are there, but I felt like the writer themselves never wanted to dwell on things. Like, it, it, it almost as if it wanted it to be an Iyashi K, but not really, because it is loud show. When she gets really tempered, she gets tempered really quickly. <laughs> the whole joke is that everybody, all of her family members, or all of her children are scared of her because... She's this legendary uh, mage that was known in 200 years prior that disappeared. And so she's very powerful and she's very dangerous. And so whenever she does get a little upset about things, everybody's freaking out like, oh, no, you're going to make you're going to make mother angry. And she's dangerous. Uh, or if they do something terrible, she'll send a message to them saying, just wait till I get home kind of thing. <laughs> she almost has like this very immature viewpoint of things. And that's her personality. That's very unique and, and enjoyable that just kind of bounces off the characters around her, the the quote-unquote NPCs that are now different in her eyes. And that was really where the gold was. I, I think, like I said before, Kena, the 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 whole parental thing, another world with my, my, with my family, um, my dysfunctional kids, that was the gold. Everything else outside of that just really wasn't there for me. I didn't care about the whole aspect of if there's players there or not. I didn't really care too much about the other NPCs in the world, this presentation of this prince and, and the queen or the, the princess and all that kind of stuff is like, yeah, I didn't really care. So I think that's where kind of, it's a damper for me. It didn't ruin the show for me, but that was kind of the damper. Um, thankfully having kind of Kana be the main character of the show. I didn't have too much issue with those, those lulls, but 
it does make you kind of wonder about the show and the future of it. Like, what is it doing going forward? I, I'm kind of assuming there might be a time skimp after the end of this show, the, the show, because it feels like at the end of the season, it, it felt like she came to a point where she's settling. And I'm curious as, with the story going forward, if they would do anything additional. I don't, I haven't seen any signs of another season, but I would be very curious to see what they could end up doing with it going in the future. But I don't know. It's it's unique in the way that it presents a lot of things. Um, the trapped in the video game aspect is definitely unique with this this particular story. There's another show in the season that's technically doing the trapped in a game, pretty much the same exact way, which is really weird. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a hard sell for me. But I think if you're looking for like a laid back show, I think similar to something like I've been killing slimes for 300 years and maxed out my level. Very similar to that. The idea of another chance. I want to enjoy life, but then there's shenanigans. Um, but yeah, it didn't look fantastic. It, it, it worked. They, they were, it wasn't a terrible looking show but at the same time. It wasn't, wasn't fantastic anyway. So yeah, that's, 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 um, land of the Dale. Check that out. If that's interesting to you, the orbital of children, extraterrestrial boys and girls. This is a six episode series that aired on Netflix. I think late January, uh, it was a full drop show. It was technically three episodes per movie. There was two movies in Japan, but they just dropped it all in six episodes on Netflix. The Japanese title is Chikyogai Shonen Shoujo. This one was in, uh, done by Studio Production Plus H. The source is an original. The genre is our sci-fi adventure. And the big interesting thing about this and the reason why I just immediately gravitated towards it and ate it up... <laughs> Is that the creator and director was Mitsuo Iso, who is, of course, known for creating and uh, working on Dino Coil. He's also worked on uh, Neon Justice Evangelion and key animation for a lot of other big titles. So, um, yeah, I, I obviously, the again, the drawing point was Iso. Um, obviously, I was a huge fan of Dino Coil. So, um, knowing this was kind of in the same supposed to be within the same universe but not necessarily a sequel or anything like that was definitely what i gravitated towards obviously the thing that i love so much about dinner coil was the aspect that it was kind of built around kind of a believable future tech it was it was technically set in japan but it was like just slightly in the future where there's augmented reality and all this kind of stuff like a parallel net world um, that was kind of believable that i really liked and it's something similar to what i got from the first trailers for orbital children as this idea of like a not so distant future and i you know tech that i can kind of believe exists which i think it pulled it off so in in certain respects so for those that are not aware of this story it essentially follows a guy named toya well to give you some backstory essentially mankind at some point wanted to travel to space so they moved to space um and they ha- started having children there i think they had like 15 children um early on um, but unfortunately, 10 of those children died really quickly, and they realized really quickly that it seems like children don't kind of, you know, mature and grow naturally in space, and that's why they're dying away. And so this this high-tech AI essentially created an implant they can put into the children's brains that'll kind of, you know, w- help them develop properly, you know, work on their hormones and stuff properly so that they can develop properly and not die well, unfortunately, this AI got too smart, and so mankind decided to shut down that system, even though that system was essentially what kept those children alive. And they've kind of put in effect to all AI into the world itself kind of limiters that prevent it from getting too smart. And so we kind of jump forward, and we're following Toya and Konoha, who are living in this kind of space hotel. 
And that's where they're kind of being taken care of as being these two children that were amongst those 15 that were born in space. And at some point there's this kind of, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a field trip thing that's happening with uh, several students that are able to go to space and visit this hotel. And Satoya has to kind of bring them into the hotel and, and show them around. He's obviously not very into the idea because Toya is kind of like a char. <laughs> he kind of believes that mankind, uh, at least earthlings, are kind of not good things. Uh, obviously, Toya is one of these children that were, he feels like they were kind of abandoned by human humankind. They came to space, they had these children, and then they ran back to Earth. And so he kind of feels like there's a little bit of an abandonment there. And so he doesn't really like earthlings much, so... But he welcomes onto the spaceship. Eventually, this catastrophe happens that kind of, you know, uh, damaged the space hotel a little bit. So they kind of have to figure out, come together and kind of figure out how to survive, uh, despite a lot of things kind of malfunctioning, uh, life support, air, all that kind of stuff uh, being an issue. So, yeah. Yeah, Toya, like I said, mentioned earlier, he's one of these children. Koharu is also another one of these children that were born in space. Uh, Toyo, Tayo, who is kind of connected to the UN in some way, so he feels a little bit of a obligation to make sure things are working properly for the UN. He's like a little child soldier, I guess. <laughs> uh, Mina, who's like the this super, uh, we call him um, influencer kind of person, wants to get a lot of a lot of followers. That's the whole reason she's going there, so that she can see if she can live stream and get popular and lots of followers. Uh, and Hiroshi, who's kind of is Mina's little brother, and he has like a he's like a fan of Toya in a way. Uh, come to find out, Toya has like a ton of uh, followers on the little social media thing. Was it called um, Space Tuber? Space Tuber followers. But yeah, so yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I, I think my biggest draw to Ito's work is believable futuristic tech and storytelling that can come from that. And I definitely think that the that Ito definitely pulled that off with this one as well. I can kind of. I can kind of believe this kind of future tech, you know, going to space, uh, the idea of, uh, you know, human development not being properly done in space makes sense to me. The, the, the hands, uh, pretty much your hand is your, your smartphone kind of tech, that kind of stuff all makes sense to me. And I kind of believe it in a sense. And I think they pulled it off with this one similar to dental coil. Ito gets a little bit crazy towards the end, so keep that in mind. I think I had the same problem with Dino Coil towards the end of it. It's like it starts to go in that realm of, yeah, you're starting to lose me, Ito. Pull back the reins a little bit. They had a similar feeling with this one as well. Um, it does technically have a lot of themes in the, in the series as well. It gets into elements of kind of being locked up in your own little, um, your own little bubble and having to come out of that. There's a lot of comments about this cradle that they they kind of find themselves in and breaking out from that and kind of meeting other people and trusting other people is a big part of the whole thing uh early on i kind of figured it would be a lot about okay here's a bunch of a mishmash of people that normally get along suddenly are in a life-threatening situation they have to learn to work together it that element is there but it's not really the core focus of a lot of things it, it like i said before a lot of it has to do with the aspect of the cradle and trusting other people and these elements of things that you think are known and true realizing that at some point from another perspective they're not so true are elements they get into i think later on ito gets a little preachy with this idea of accepting all of our flaws and 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 bearing them all it gets a little bit weird in that element so keep that in mind but i think overall it tells a really solid kind of future tech 
story of surviving and coming together and realizing your flaws and that you kind of have to bear them in, in a sense. So uh, a lot of the action scenes were a lot of fun. A lot of the more um, heavier drama points were solid. There was one really pivotal story beat that happens later on in the series that it seems like they just completely cut the response of the characters to that scene. Uh, it was very jarring. They had like this really big event happen, and then it literally scene changed, and it feels like they completely it didn't ever happen. <laughs> it was very it was very weird. I'm not sure what the 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 choice was for that, um, but it I kind of really hated it. But it didn't really really ruin the entire show as a whole. So, but no, I, I found a lot of fun. I, I was actually really surprised by what they did with Mina. Uh, I, I figured obviously Mina was the character of I want to get lots of followers. All she does is live stream everything. She records everything. She's kind of that annoying influencer character. But I was really surprised to see how pivotal she was to the overall story and how they roped her into the whole thing was really surprising. I think of any character I didn't like was Toyo, uh, Tayo, who is the, the, the kid that was, for some reason, connected to the UN in some way. I felt like he was kind of obnoxious um, in, a, in a sense that he... There's a situation happening, but he's still stuck on this thing. And it's like, really, are we doing that right now? <laughs> it's one of those situations where you're like, are we doing that right now? Can we please address that later? Um, he's kind of that annoying character. Uh, Toya was a little bit annoying at first, but it's it's one of those aspects of, like I, I equated it to with Char. It's like one of those aspects where you kind of understand why he feels that way. Like if you were a child that was born in space and you, pretty much all of humanity leaves you, it feels like that abandonment aspect to your life that kind of molds you. And I feel like they, it, they did a really decent job of kind of portraying that. It, it's annoying at first, but then you kind of realize it really quickly. So, but yeah, overall, solid characters, great character moments. Um, I love the future tech stuff. I love how that plays together with the story and how it kind of wraps everything together. It's not a mind-blowing show, don't get me wrong. It's just a really solid six episodes that I really did enjoy. I and again, I'm technically a fan of of Ito's work or Iso's work, so Ito. <laughs> Iso. Mitsuo Iso. I'm a fan of his work, so definitely enjoyed it. It does have a pretty solid wrap up at the end. It does have a brief moment where it tries to hint at something possible for the future. So, I would be all for more content, but it, it's solid. It's a solid end to it. So, yeah, that's uh, the Orbital Children. Definitely check that out if that's interesting to you. And check out my YouTube video that I made on this because I'm trying to struggle to remember most everything because this is like three months ago, technically. So, <laughs> Sabakui Bisco. This one is Sabakui Bisco or Rust Eater Bisco. I think they just kept the Sabakui Bisco name for, for the Western release. Uh, this one was streaming on Crunchyroll, ran for 12 episodes, done by Studio Oz. Source is a light novel, and the genres are action, adventure, fantasy. Series composition and script work was done by Sadayuki Murai, who did Kawa Bebop, Perfect Blue, Natsumi Yujinsho, Millennium Actress, Nice Sidonia, and Kino's Journey. This one takes place in pretty much a decimated uh, Japan. <laughs> they pretty much talk about in the past these Tetsujins showed up, and they basically caused catastrophe and all that was left behind was pretty much deserts of rust. Everything around everybody is becoming rust. There's also this kind of uh, sickness that comes from the rust itself. Anybody that comes in contact with the rust, they come inflict, 
become in, inflicted by the rust, and it will pretty much start consuming their body, turning their entire body into rust. So that's kind of a big uh, concern there. Most of civilizations kind of living in these closed up areas and people are just dying away. It kind of really quickly introduce you to the world that people are just dying. They're dying from illnesses, starvation, uh, the rust infliction, and they're just all kind of early on. It kind of gives you an indication that a lot of people are just trying to find a peaceful way of dying. Um, there is this idea that, you know, some of the higher ups are possibly, you know, happier and finding ways to survive. But for the most part, the population is kind of just struggling to survive. Uh, we follow quickly Milo, who is a doctor who tries to help people that are in the poor areas uh, seek treatment in some way of, of curing the rust. Uh, and then later on, we find out about this Bisco Akaboshi, who is this evil mushroom keeper that is causing havoc and spreading these mushrooms because, as it seems like the population wants you to believe, mushrooms are the thing that cause the rust uh the cause the rust dust that essentially inflict people with the rust disease. So, and the two of them kind of essentially bump into each other because Bisco is trying to save his, um, his mentor who's just been shot and he basically kidnaps Milo to help him. And the two of them kind of get wrapped up in this search for this cure, this rust eater mushroom that can possibly cure the rust. So yeah. How far did you get into this one? Pretty much where we, where I left off. Which, Which was is... at the first impression. <laughs> where I left off. <laughs> okay, that makes perfect sense. No, this was um, this is one of those series where I came into it just purely based on art and the PV. Like, this this show had a fantastic presentation early on. And I, I think Oz did a fantastic job of really selling the show. The PVs look great. The first couple episodes look great. It was... It was one of those things of like pure style world oddities of the world itself and just how it presented its story. Like I mentioned early on, when when it opens up with this first view of this town that all the people are kind of hiding away in, it told the story through what was around the town. It didn't tell you, hey, everybody's just trying to find a way of dying peacefully. It, it literally shows you advertisements of um, offering funerals and, and people are selling these uh, different – insects and 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 animals that you can eat that will you know give you a high or or make you comfortable in your death people were just trying to find ways of dying and the way that it kind of presented all that and it showed the world itself was just absolutely beautiful they did a great job presenting that stuff and then when you get into later stuff where you just get absolutely bonkers crazy you have a guy shooting arrows that creates mushrooms out of the ground you have hippos with cannons on their backs you have flying slugs you have crabs with with shrines and cans on the back of it. It, it. Everything's weird. And I loved it. Like it's, it's our world post-apocalyptic basically with just mutations of oddities in the world itself that I absolutely loved. Every bit of that art style, everything I absolutely loved. But then the episodes continue and Oz just, <laughs> just Oz didn't. <laughs> What did Oz do? Oz didn't. It the, it just it felt like the studio couldn't keep everything together, and that's my biggest issue and the biggest the hardest selling point for the show. I don't know if this is something that could possibly be fixed with the Blu-ray. It's going to take a lot of work because it really does feel like I, I'm, it's going to sound mean. It felt like two thirds of the show was not animated, like the rest of it was just stills. 
You can hear sounds in the background while characters just staring and doing nothing. It didn't the 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 the, the studio screwed up. <laughs> like at some point, late like two thirds in the show, I'm like, just Oz, just just keep it together for a few more episodes and just let it end. <laughs> like I just wanted it to end because I felt mad because I wanted this to work. Like I love this world, I love the characters, I love the art style, I love everything in it. It's just it's not moving, and I know it's supposed to be moving because I can hear them recording sound effects and stuff, but nothing's moving. Um, but no, I, I, I like I said before, I, I love this world. I love the concepts behind it. It's such a weird world that I wanted to know more about, and every time it was kind of revealing things about, you know, again, the propaganda behind the rust, the aspect of the um where the mushrooms come from why is our fear of the mushrooms what created that concept the mushroom keepers and how they are not all good people but the idea of the mushroom keepers themselves is you know these people experimenting on ways of uh, basically saving mankind all those things were really good the main villain that they kind of focus on this particular core i kind of liked at first but after a while realizing it's just kind of like a very it's a very blah story. Like, it's like, okay, so that's your whole stick shrug. <laughs> like, it was a very shrug main villain kind of story. But everything outside of that was great. Uh, Chirudo was literally the best thing about the show. Pawu was fantastic as well. I loved Milo and Bisco's kind of partnership they kind of create. It's a very kind of brotherly partnership they end up creating together that I think was put together decently well. But again, in the end, it kind of comes down to bad production um and again hopefully that's something that could be fixed with a later blu-ray release i again i highly doubt it because it's a lot of work it's gonna it's gonna take literally them working three times as much as they did originally so this is probably my biggest my biggest um i love it i still love it in the end because of how weird it is but it's easily my biggest disappointment because i love it so much it's one of those aspects of don't get me wrong i'm mad because i love the show (laughs) I'm mad because I love the story. I'm mad because I want it to be better. And instead, my whole review ends up coming down to I'm frustrated because it barely moved. But um, even still, if you like this idea of a post-apocalyptic, weird, kind of mutated world and survivability within it, definitely check it out. I think it's 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 still it's still a solid watch. Um, it just kind of it it just slowly and very quickly. <laughs> slowly and very quickly kind of falls apart in the animation department so yep that's that's Sabakui Bisco teasing Master Takagi-san third season or three seasons in or uh, Karakai Jozo Jozo no Takagi-san third season this one streamed on High Dive ran for 12 episodes uh, they already have announced a movie which I think is going to be in June did we say June I think it was June soon <laughs> Uh, Shinny Animation worked on this one. The sources of manga, the genres are comedy, romance, slice of life. And for those that are not familiar with Teasing Master Takagi-san, this essentially follows Takagi. Well, it, mainly the, the most of the focus and perspective is from Nishikata, who is this boy that has a neighbor in his class named Takagi, who, from our perspective, obviously loves him. <laughs> But from Nishikata's perspective, it's this girl that just wants to make his life a living hell and constantly teases him. Uh, but obviously, again, we from our perspective, we know that Takagi is just trying to get Nishikata's attention, constantly teasing with him just to get his, you know, some acknowledgement of the fact that, you know, dropping hints. 
Um, it's kind of one of those perspectives that you, you realize this is technically a puppy love story. Um, but the the obviously intention here is, yes, the funniness that comes from a girl teasing a boy. But this idea that Nishikata is kind of not really as mature in the, when it comes to romance, whereas Takagi is a lot more mature when it comes to that whole idea. And that kind of slow, I, I would say at this point in three seasons in, slow leveling of that, that realization that comes from that, which I think was kind of formed in second season, second season. First season, I think was a lot of teasing. Second season is that point towards the later part where they finally have this moment that Nishikata can't really get his mind off of. He doesn't know why. And I think in the third season is really where you kind of see that constant reminder, like there's something here. Like we're finally getting a hint. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, of course, you have a lot of side characters. You have the trio, Mina, Sanai, and Yukari, who are all conscious just doing doofy things. Uh, you have Tako and, and Kimura just doing stupid things. There's two other pairings, um, Mano and Nakai, who's kind of the closest to Takagi and Nishikata in sort of, you know, relation. Uh, but obviously, they, they pretty much have already accepted their relationship together. And then you kind of have a new blossoming love that I think they showed up in the second season, if I remember correctly, Hojo and Hamaguchi, who, again, are kind of charting to get a hint at, at a relationship there. So your thoughts on, on the third season? Does it is it still solid for you? I still love this show. This is – I absolutely love the 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 puppy love, as Andrew uh, pointed it out as. I, I love the – the the quirky natures of pretty much every character. Yes, I finally started liking the trio. <laughs> when I started uh, li- disliking the trio, I started liking the trio. <laughs> it's it, 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 I, I call it Stockholm syndrome. For if you want to, I I, I finally just okay, fine. I like you guys. Um, now it, it, when it comes down to it, I I just enjoy the 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 mood of this this show in general. I love how nostalgic it feels i love how much they just generally uh sweet in and and just endearing nature to a lot of a lot of their interactions one of the funny things about this 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 particular season like andrew had mentioned this and 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 i i kind of agree where the in the first season it was just a lot more teasing um from takagi in the second season it kind of more feels like yeah, the, the, the scales are kind of shifting. Takagi's and, dropping hints. Yeah, <laughs> Takagi's throwing down gauntlets here and there. Um in this this particular season, it, it it was it was pretty much in in a lot of cases in Nishikata's face. That that you you're 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 you need to wake up very he keeps, soon. He uh, the the theme of it was like I, I felt like it was why did she say it that way? Why <laughs> did she say that? Did she really say that? Like it's it's finally that moment where he's like he can't get his mind off of it, and, and I and I love that. Um, one of the one of the fun scenes that um, that I kind of really liked is was yeah, um, the, the I I almost kind of it, in one episode I I, I was like I really want to see her get jealous. I mean, just honestly jealous. I want to see how she would react to that. And then a couple of episodes later, it, it almost like. Oh, I know you wanted that, so here you go. And it kind of put it, it put it there, and I was like, "This is not what I wanted, but I'll take it anyway." <laughs> yeah. 
So it, it, it's it's funny that some of these things were happening in this this season. It was almost like I was getting a lot of things that I wanted out of the, the in 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 most cases in, in this season. I really can't wait till the next part. I really do want to see kind of a conclusion to this. Um, and it, I, I, even the last episode where it was kind of building up so much buildup and I knew that I was not going to get what I wanted out of that buildup. And yet at the same time, when I finally got it, I was like, dang you for still satisfying my desires and not exactly giving me what I really, really wanted and in, out of all that buildup. So yeah, love it. I, I can't suggest this story. Uh, if you have not watched the first two seasons, it's so worth it. To If you love these kind of cutesy, fun, it's not quite in full-on romance, but it's absolutely satisfying in every way, shape, or form as far as a just a love story, even though it is more of a puppy love story. It's it's so satisfying, and I love it. Yeah, it's it's, it's discovery type stuff, and that's what it kind of feels interesting about the third season versus the first, the first and second is just getting that that point in which the it seems like the writers kind of getting done with the whole teasing joke thing and getting more into okay, let's make these two, let's start to form something here. And you know, granted, in the end, it could be they don't ever get together. I mean, that's the big question mark. It's, but at the same time, it, it is getting to that point where you have the characters start to re- realize that aspect. And I do like that. It, but I think the, the the struggle that I have is it's getting to that point so much that I think the writers starting to um, get a little bit less on the creativity with the teasing aspect because it's I think the writers focusing so much on creating that bond that ultimately she's the writers finally getting into like this is finally the punchline that I'm getting to and now we need to get into it and I'm really excited for that because it's been a long journey so far very uh, obviously a long journey we're now at 36 episodes it's 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 weird to think of that that way but yes we're technically 36 episodes into this teasing thing <laughs> but it's always been a cute thing it's it doesn't always make me laugh out loud but it's always been a cute thing and I do like the aspect of kind of supplementing a lot of these times with the side characters, even though, you know, Yukari Sanai and Mina have become a little bit more frustrating for me to see on the screen anymore. Um, addition to things like Hojo, I really did like. Like, I do love Hojo and Hamaguchi. I was surprised we didn't get really anything of Mono and, and Nakai, but Hojo and, and Hamaguchi stuff was really cute. And I really did like that addition to the whole thing. Don't come! Don't come to me at the at the festival. <laughs> There's a reason for it. Um, but no, there was so many great moments in the season, though, between Takagi and Nishikata, and that's one of those things where when when teasing master Takagi's not teasing master um, when um, Nagatoro came out, I, w- I was extremely hesitant to say. Everybody's like, "Holy crap, this is cool!" I'm like, "Is that's teasing girl? We we've had that. It's Takagi." Because it was really difficult to really sell that because, again, it's puppy love versus more mature um, kind of relationship kind of stuff. Um, because this is a discovery type of thing. And so it's a lot of that kind of cutesiness and very childlike stuff that's getting into. Like I mentioned earlier, technically Nishikata is very immature in romance, whereas Takaki's definitely got a leap on him. And I kind of see that a lot of those moments where they finally have those realizations are just the key pivotal points. The whole stage play was easily my f- probably my favorite scene in all yeah. of Takagi so far. Mm-hmm. Like of all three seasons, that was just so well done. Like I kind of had a hint that something like that was going to happen, 
I just didn't know how it was going to do it. And when it actually happens, I was really blown away. Like, this was so good. Like, she got all of what she wanted. <laughs> like, she got this big boost in her desire for what she wanted she finally got something that she's been wanting for so long she took advantage like she i got this i'm taking it i'm grabbing it i'm not letting it go and it was it's points like that where i feel like the build-up is just so worth it and i think that's i think that's what's gonna make despite the fact that i think it's a give and take thing because i i understand there's an aspect of 36 episodes of teasing the same guy over and over again and him is reacting to it but there is an element of being through 36 episodes of it for so long that you're kind of that payoff is going to be so fantastic in the end. And I cannot wait for it if it does happen. <laughs> Question mark. But um, I can't I can I can kind of acknowledge that idea that there's there's times where it does get a bit um, repetitive in certain ways. But at the same time, I think they mix it up enough that it makes it fresh every time. And I think the other aspect that adds to it is that element of Rie Takahashi. Rie Takahashi sells Takagi. She is an embodied... Like, Megamin aside, like, Takagi is Rie Takahashi. And she does that character so well. She's got that soft nature. She's got that giggle. She's got that little pointiness of her. Is, her laugh is fantastic. <laughs> she's so she's so good at it. And, and additionally with Nishikata, like, he is that character. I don't know his name. I was off the top of my head. But he is totally that character. And he does that kind of thing at the every end of every single punchline he pulls that off and they're just so cute together and i just cannot wait for more of it so there i am I'm, I'm going to throw out go kind of feeding off of what andrew was mentioning a second ago the the repetitive nature of this i i would suspect because i i did technically binge um uh good chunks of this i think it's a this binge aspect list. it's hard There's, to binge I, I would think that's what I was getting ready to say is I would think that it would get kind of hard. I, I would almost fill out that first few episodes. If you do decide uh, based off of what me and Andrew are talking about, maybe it's worth going and watching all 36 episodes. I think it would be kind of hard for most people to watch through all 36 episodes. I wouldn't have no problem with it. I absolutely adore these two characters. And if you do adore these two characters, you probably won't have a problem with binging it. But I could see this. If you're not sure about this show and you go just headlong into this, probably not binging it because like Andrew was saying, it does get very repetitive. And I can see that if you're not absolutely in love with Nishikata and, and Takagi, you would probably have a hard time with that repetitive nature because it does some of the I jokes. Love them. I love them and I felt I felt a fatigue. Yeah. Um, binging, I think I ended up having to binge eight or maybe seven episodes of it to for the review. It, and it, I, so I could see that. And, and, and so take that as a possible forewarning. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I could get, get fatigued at a certain point. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I adore these characters. So, yeah. and we finally, I, before I forget, we technically did finally get that. I'm not going to say what it is. We got that one segment that really does, uh, it gives you a different perspective. I'll just say that a, a, a viewpoint to something else in the, this season and it was so funny because when it happened i was like 
is that what I think it is? It is what I think it was. Like, I've been waiting for it because I actually seen it in the manga. And so, like, I'm waiting for this to actually happen. And it finally happened. I'm like, oh, oh, that's what that is. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't the scene that I seen, but it is technically similar. So that was, that was good. That was, that was a good shift. So. Yep. Teasing Master Takagi-san third season. Definitely a suggestion. Skip this one. <laughs> World's in harem. Let's do it. We'll do it live. World's in harem or Shimatsu no harem. This one streamed on Crunchyroll. If you even want to even bother with that version, just don't. Just Google search it. Uh, it ran for 11 episodes. Done by Studio Gokomi and Axis. The source is a manga. The genres are sci-fi, ecchi. And yeah, this one follows a guy named Reto. And Reto is an aspiring researcher and one day he is like, diagnosed with this really incur- bad incurable disease. And so he decides to confess to the girl that he's always loved. I sort of confessed to her. It wasn't really a confession. <laughs> following that, he ends up being put under cryogenic sleep uh, for the day that they could find a cure. They're like estimating. They have a lot of AI in this world that are doing a lot of research and stuff. So they estimate that they can get a cure soon. But he has to go into sleep until that time comes. He gets wakened up from his sleep, and he's been cured. Everything's great. Uh, very quickly, he kind of realized that everybody around him are females, as it eventually is brought to his attention that things have changed in the world since he's been asleep. Uh, this man-killer disease has uh, showed up, and or virus, and wiped out 99.9% of the males of the world. Uh, the only ones left alive are pretty much in cryosleep still, and he's one of the few people that has been deemed as... Being immune to this virus, it seems like it's somehow attached to the incurable disease that he had before. Yeah. Um, but he's one of, they seem, they think, five men that have had this same occurrence. So he's the second one to be brought back alive or awake. Uh, the first guy is, like, enjoying his time. Because <laughs> we find out really quickly is, yeah, obviously, need to repopulate the world. Uh, Reto, it's, it's your duty to... Get to Boinkin and and boink as many boinks as you can to make lots of children to save the world because everything's kind of falling apart and they're obviously in danger of becoming extinct at this point. So unfortunately, unfortunate for him, he is dedicated to his boinking one girl. girl. Yeah, so he's like, <laughs> I can't do that. I can't boink no girls because I got to boink this girl. I can't. I got to find out where she's at if she's alive. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, the first guy that was waking up, yeah, he's he's getting the boinking. He's he's perfectly fine with that idea, but no, not number two, Reito. Um, and like after later, you'll kind of get this idea that Reito wants to find a cure for the disease because he he figures if he can find a cure for the disease that nobody else found a cure for, and not even the AI that's super advanced has found a cure for, he, an aspiring researcher, will find a cure for it. Uh, then he can basically cure the you know many men that are currently in sleep waiting for a cure, and then they'll have lots of boinking. But, yeah. Later on, we get into Doi, who is the third that they awaken. He's kind of been bullied when he was in school. Everything kind of happened. He went under cryosleep, and then he awakened to pretty much having a whole mock school created just to help him blink. And later on, getting into the MK virus, where it came from, and terrorists that are threatening the women's union of the world and that stuff. Your thoughts on Worlds in Harem. Did you enjoy the Crunchyroll version, by the way? God, no. <laughs> um, I would I would love to say how exactly I feel about this show. But there's a 
big problem. I really don't know how I feel about this show. This show, um, it would have been so much easier if it was just a fun, cheesy world's in harem and, and you get, got an excuse to have a harem. And, and then we can make jokes about how, how much of an idiot this guy is because of the fact that he, d- he doesn't, for whatever reason, f- can't figure out why he doesn't want to have sex with all the girls in the world. It would be so much funner if that was the case. However, this is the writer wanted to try and do something cool. And I, I give him props for trying to do something cool. Technically the main character is kind of cool in the fact that he wants to save himself for the girl. I get it. The problem is, is that the, the, the story is trying too hard to be serious. And so instead of this character, who's kind of cool ends up being really freaking annoying as, as Andrew lovingly pointed out in one of his um, video reviews, it, it is really freaking annoying to sit here and, and see this guy with girls absolutely throwing themselves on him. These, these, these situations, they, frank, they lay out this entire thing of, no, you don't understand. If you get one of these girls pregnant, it's like them winning the freaking lottery. Um, so all of these things just compile out and – I understand why it's because this writer is trying really, really, really freaking hard to make this into a serious story. And then in the latter episodes, it took until pretty much the the final episode and they were closing everything up and they finally got this moment that you were waiting the entire season for at that moment. And you're like, and, and after I'm done with it, I'm like, I actually kind of want to continue the story because there's a lot of really cool stuff in here. But the problem is it's extremely predictable. Yes. In a way, (laughs) like like all the twists and turns are like, uh, Oh, I thought we'd already revealed that. I, maybe I just predicted that. Sure. Okay. I thought it was coming. I, I, I'm not going to say it's not predictable. It, it, it does feel like it has, an attempt at trying, and and maybe it's more me just trying to read into things that I think are kind of interesting. Um, but at the same time, I think it's sloppily done. Like, oh, the end was super sloppy. Like, it it like is. When they went back to Rato, it was like this is just like Rambo, big chest way they running and gunning down people and espionage is like okay yeah sure okay it, it, the ca- it, it had the it had several times with the cackling villain character literally it's like this everything's going down in this boardroom and she comes out <laughs> I all along and it's like really we go the cheesy way it, it it's it's one of which those is things- ca- which is counter to again what you said before which i said the same thing with early on the show it really does feel like this writer is trying to make a very serious story, which was completely counter to the wake up to every woman is your is 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 yours, and it's shifting to we're going to go extinct. We need men in this world to create this balance, and we no longer have it. Women are literally, you know, women are unable to that are unable to support themselves no longer have that support that they had before because they all died. 
it it, it is a it, I, and I don't know if I want to blame it on because it, the, this, this is where I, I I am in this weird frustration. I will flat out say I don't know if it's a it's a an issue of shoving the fan service into this because in a lot of cases it's like they had this really cool idea and then somebody went you know what you should just make this into a flat out fan service show or story and then you can still have your really cool ideas and it's like i said it feels sloppy like they're they're trying to shove these cool ideas in here because they want to explore them, but at the same time, they're trying to shoehorn the f- fan service in. So what is being shoehorned in? The the cool ideas or the fan service? One of one or the the other is getting in the way of the other one. And that's that that's where I, I, I get stuck. It's like I it would be so much more easier to go, okay, it's just a stupid fan service, um, you know, eat some popcorn if it was trying to do that. But yeah, instead, it feels feel like it was of, trying. Yeah, I don't feel any, there. I mean, yeah, there's points where it really just feels like, why does she suddenly stand underneath the shower when they were talking about something serious hiding away in the shower? I think there's points where it does feel like it's you know injected in there, but I don't feel like it ever derails the story. I guess no, and that's and that's my thing is I don't know that that's the problem. I don't think the fan service is the problem. I I think that this writer maybe this is his first writing. That that would make more sense. Maybe he's trying, and he just has a hard time with trying to pull everything together. It just feels sloppy in general. So, take or, that for what it is. It's as far she. as <laughs> you know, it's probably a she. Just to throw you completely okay, off, sorry. you know, it's going to end up being a she, or it's just completely uh, a single name that has no written by Link. That helps. Who yeah, I, you're not going to find. Uh, well, maybe you might find Link uh, uh, Mangaka. I can I can look it up in a minute. But yeah, that's where I pretty much stand. I I think it's fine. I like I said, I came away at the end of the story going, I really do want to get more out of this. I want to know where they go from here because there is a lot of interesting things that I am interested in finding out about. Um, the fan service. Hit and miss. I mean, it, some of it was really nice, um, but other than that, I mean, the character art. I do like the character art. I I will admit that. Yeah, besides the overly sized opi stuff, I, I'll <laughs> stuff I don't I, care about. Okay, for, but I, I'll give you that one. I'm pretty much in the same boat. I I felt like early on when it started really hitting on the serious stuff, I felt like it was going to do something really interesting. Like I said, I, I kind of created my predictions early on that all kind of pretty much panned out. So it wasn't really too much of a shock when we got into the later stuff. But I mean, I, I will admit that I, I feel like the writer does have solid stuff. And that was really kind of what I seen in Doi. I think Doi was a great story. I hate Reto. I hate Reto's story. I hate the MK virus story. I hate the women's union story. I think all that stuff is super predictable or extremely frustrating to watch. Doi's was a was a story where yes, I had my frustrations with him because obviously when he does you know things that are more, he gets a little dark at times. Um, it frustrated me obviously, but that's just a personal thing. But I think his story was interesting. That's where I kind of seen the writer doing some really interesting stuff. That was the whole idea of the mock school to keep his comfort level at a certain extent, even though at some point he realizes that it is all just a made up thing for his comfort for the sake of yes, boinking. 
it that was the the clever stuff though. I really liked that kind of story and what they kind of did with that stuff. That struggle of it being fake and the struggle of him having a, a bit of a superiority complex being developed, kind of facilitating that and her own desires that she has was all interesting. Now, granted, I don't necessarily that goes in that realm of unbelievability of how much control she has over her own situation, but it was still some interesting stuff they created there. And I really did like that kind of harem technically that he kind of builds. Um, it was a really nice contrast to Reto. Now, granted, he also had Kyoji who was again, number one that was, was brought in. I, he's literally non-existent, but even he has more character development than Reto. Like, like I felt like I got more out of number one, than number two, when number one was on the screen for a whole, probably three minutes. Um, they do have good characters here. Um, and they do have good concepts with the story they're telling. I just think the overall plot line isn't really there for me. And I feel like it's kind of lazy in a sense uh, with certain things. It doesn't try to do anything really cool and interesting. It just does something that is kind of foreseeable very quickly. Um, the, the, the lowest common denominator, basically. So, yeah, the obviously the Crunchyroll version sucks. Don't watch it. It's I, I feel, again, conspiracy theory here, that Studio Gokomi was told to do more censorship than they did. And I almost feel like Studio Gokomi and Axis essentially comically censored this thing. When you have underwear and then kisses being censored, in some cases, pretty much the entire screen covered, even though there's really nothing being shown. Uh, upper chest being sh- uh, censored, even though it's not really even showing anything. That's where I kind of feel like you're getting into a comedic realm of uh, censorship. So I almost wonder in some cases, it was it done comedically? Was it done so it could be shown during primetime television on children's networks? Or if it was done as a middle finger? Um, I don't know. I don't really, I don't know if we'll ever know, but it's, it's definitely makes you question. And so, yeah, the Crunchyroll version is garbage. Don't even touch it. Um, might as well go somewhere else to get it. And even then it's decent stuff. Um, it's not really the best stuff. Um, the, obviously the joke here is if you are into hentai and what plot do you watch this? Or if you're into plot, but you want some hentai, I don't think either way, uh, you're going to find better hentai elsewhere and you're going to find better plot elsewhere. It's, it's just really that middle ground that doesn't really exceed in any way, shape or form than other stuff out there. But I, like I said before, I did like Doi's story, even though he frustrated me at times. It was an interesting character study, like an experiment there that I thought was not mind-blowing, but at the same time, some interesting stuff. So, yeah, I'm, worth it. I'm assuming this is his first work. Um, all he has after that is just spinoffs of this. Just keep hitting on it. Just keep there hitting you go. on it. Just keep it's hitting on it. Because it looks like he had a, a Britain version and possibly a, an America, or a America version. So, like, he's basically taking the story and going, okay, this is what would happen in the Britain. Well, it is a worldwide issue. Yeah. So, I imagine it's just perspectives from each area. Like, they right. talk about the U.S. and here and them wanting Reto and stuff. So Exactly. Rolls and Harem, check that out if that's interesting to you. Soraito Utility. This was a single episode OVA that dropped on Crunchyroll, done by studio Yostar Pictures. The source is original, and the genres are sports. It's only about a 14-minute episode, so not too much to talk about here. 
I did want to note it though because it frustrated me because I thought it was a whole series. And so when we went to go to reviews, I'm like, I gotta go check get caught up on Sora Ito or Sora Iro uh, utility. And Chris is like, it's just one episode. I'm like, no, they were doing a single episode and they were gonna do the full series. No, it's just a single episode. Okay. Um, it's cute though. I, I think it's a nice primer for next season. Not next season. I think it's um, actually summer. They're gonna have another golf show that day or that that season, but. It basically Minami, Ayaka, and Haruka. Ayaka and Haruka are kind of decently knowledgeable golf players, whereas Minami seems to be somebody just getting into golfing, so she has her issues hitting properly, and it kind of has the other two kind of keep her spirits up as she's trying really hard to find her ideal form, and eventually, Imeji. Is it that we say? Imeji. You gotta imagine what you're doing, mm-hmm. so... It was a cute little short. Um, yep. Like I said earlier, I I recommended it. It looked visually good. Um, the character designs are really fantastic. I almost really want a full series of it. Um, so it's like one of those things where I, I discover it's not a full series, and I go to check it out, and then I'm like, I kind of want a full series because they're cute characters, and there's the good chemistry between them. They had good seiyus in there as well. So it's, again, kind of a shocker that it's only a single episode OVA. But if you like golf... It's not like cute girls doing cute things. I mean, they're cute, but it's not like the whole kind of bubbly moe type of look it's um, going for you typically. So I, I definitely recommend it. It's only 14 minutes. It's not a, not much of a, an investment. So, yep. I, I, I agree. It was cute. I, I enjoyed what I watched. Yep, yep, yep. Demon Slayer, Kimitsu no Yaiba Entertainment District Arc, or Kimitsu no Yaiba Yukaku Hin. This one streamed on pretty much every platform, ran for 11 episodes, done by Studio Footable, Sources Manga, all that kind of stuff that you already know. But <laughs> So I, 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 we're not going to really get into much spoiler here, but obviously the whole story arc here for Entertainment District arc was uh, Tanjiro, uh, Inosuke, and Zenitsu meeting Tengen Uzui, one of the other Hashiras, the sound Hashira, right? It was sound. It yes, was sound. he is sound. He's a sound Hashira, and... Kind of getting wrapped Are up. Are sure in, he's not the flashy one? He is very flashy. It's <laughs> very flashy. Uh, basically, Tengen was about to yank. What was it? Uh, was it Kano that they were they were trying? No, it wasn't Kano. It was Aoi. They were trying to rope Aoi into joining him for his whole thing that he was doing inside the Entertainment District arc, which was infiltrating to find the demons in there. Um, he has his three wives in there currently, and he was looking for more females to be injected in there, so he ends up uh, Tanjiro, Zenitsu, and Onosuke basically tell him, we'll we'll work for you, which basically makes them have to dress up as cute girls to infiltrate the Entertainment District arc. Which some pull it off, some do not. One did. (laughs) (laughs) And Onosuke pulled it off. We'll we'll, we'll go with that. Well, I guess Tanjiro technically could have, but their concern there was obviously he had this big scar on his head, so they couldn't really have him out there. Um... But yeah, for for quite a, it felt like a long, long time. A lot of it's just them infiltrating the areas and trying to find where the where the demons at. Nosuke quickly kind of discovers one. Zenitsu technically discovered one, but um, eventually gets into yes, the demons coming out, them having to fight them, and um, the ultimate big climactic battle between um, the demon Daki and everybody else, which. As as always, being upper upper six ends up being a, a difficult task, and even still seeing the advancement of that demon uh, to its quote unquote final form, 
<laughs> making it a lot more difficult for them to actually execute. So, yeah, your your thoughts overall on this on this particular um, arc? It looks gorgeous. Um, I I enjoy a lot of the characters in this story, and Except I except for Zenitsu. <laughs> you can like Zenitsu. I'm sorry, Zenitsu is all right. He's He's great. He was great this season because he was asleep. Because he was asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's one of those things that I I I generally have I've enjoyed most every character in this story. When uh, I do love um, this, this is this is shown in in its absolute peak form. I've I I I love how well these um, when when a shonen is hitting. It, it it absolutely pulls off um character development during fights or or whatever have you setting up for the next fight um training montages for a lack of a better term all of these things are in this show um it is shonen to a T and it pulls it off so well i think uh in all honesty um uh, My Hero Academia is the first one that's kind of broken the mold per se, but this one is going back to its roots. If if if, if you want to go go this route of going back to the roots uh, of of setting up the factions, setting up the leaders, and 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 putting putting together kind of power levels so that you understand who is in which which realm and and having your 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 underdog get in there and and having his secret power or whatever have you all this stuff is up in the show and it does it in spades and it does it well and there nothing is left to the side and nothing is wasted when you're um when when it's when everything is pulled together and when you get that final payoff it's so well done and this 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 particular arc was no exception i mean even the previous arc um with the train nothing was left to the to 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 desire you didn't walk away going man i wish they had they had addressed this issue no you, you it was a solid um satisfying ending and this one it was no different it it it's satisfying you walk away going I love how they pulled that off. Every character got a little bit of a boost so you could see that there is progress being made as as they go along, but they were going up against something strong and it wasn't just the easiest oh well superpower trump superpower and so let me pull this magical power out of my hind end. Um, don't say that. No. <laughs> don't even say that. Enosuke. So yeah, I love it. Um, I think they did fantastic. Um, I enjoyed myself watching it and yeah. Yeah. We'll say, I don't even know how many episodes it would have been. The, everything up until they actually face off against Aki, I didn't like, I, and that's the unfortunate thing is I usually like a lot of the character moments and I like, uh, I like Tendro and everything, but I think the lead up was rough because it was just a lot of them just shenanigans inside of each one of these little, um, these little houses that are in this entertainment district arc. And that was, a, that was a frustrating thing that I had is it wasn't that interesting and it made it more, more frustrating when we got into the actual battle itself. And it suddenly decides that it wants to take time in the middle of these battles to really get into like Tengen and his relationship with his wives and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you should have done this before the battle because before the battle, nothing was happening and we weren't getting any, any sort of development. Yes. Technically, the very first episode, which was technically, I think, episode zero, 
might have been might have been the first episode an hour long. Um, it does get into Tanjiro going and visiting um, um, somebody. I'll just say that I don't want to spoil things for people that aren't really invested in the entire series. It goes in, it goes to visit somebody's family, and there's a lot of there's a conversation there around Tanjiro and his possibility of his father. But for the most part, everything up until Daki's fight, it felt like a waste, and I didn't really enjoy the series that much. When Daki's fight starts, that's when everything gets really fun. And yes, a lot of that has to do with the incredible animation. You could literally sell, you can literally have no character moments, and the show will still be great based on the incredible dedication, visuals, audio, music of this series. It is phenomenally presented. Now, when Doki, again, once the, the whole fight starts, that's when we get into the crazy stuff. I love seeing the progression of Nezuko. I get, I still get frustrated how little she's utilized, but when she is utilized, they do some really cool stuff, and I cannot wait to see technically the repercussions of what they're doing with Nezuko. I love her character. As always, I love this writer's ability to make really cool bad guys. I love the bad guys. I love the the design of them. was phenomenal. Um, the voicing choices were great, even though I, I hated Gotro's verbal tick that he had, or so to speak, speech pediment that he had in it. It was kind of a little annoying, <laughs> but he was unsettling. Um, this writer can make really cool bad guys. And I always love that every bad guy has a story. And I love getting into those stories and eventually feeling bad for them, <laughs> which I always seem to do. <laughs> um, that still continues to be a phenomenal thing that the writer's good at. Getting into Tengen, his story was great as well. Um, the ultimate conundrum choice that was given to Tendro in the very last moments of the season, I liked and I kind of wish the writer did it. The one thing that I feel like this writer does not do well is get into risky things. The writer likes to keep it very safe with its characters. And I felt like this was a great opportunity for the writer to take an interesting direction with what was being presented to Tundro. And I'm kind of, a, I'm very kind of dis. I understand why he went and do it, but I almost felt like it was a great opportunity for the writer to do something risky. And unfortunately, and technically the, his choice for his character, he chose not to do it, but getting a little more into Tandro's advancement and his craft was interesting as well. I'm curious to see how that again, kind of evolves going forward. Obviously there's always been a question about him and his father, and what his father did in the past, uh, which they've ultimately pretty much solidified at this point um, in its connection to um, Muzon. So I'll, I'll be interested to see where that goes as well. But it was it was a solid. In the end, I still love it. And um, But I will admit that this season of Annie was pretty... Or this story arc of, of Annie was, was pretty lacking in any kind of really solid developments and characters. Size again, technically getting to... Tengen and his history. So, I'm yeah. I'm I'm actually kind of curious, and 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 this is something that'll either somebody will probably pipe in and 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 tell us, or if we ever go back and actually look at the manga slash light novel, whatever, um, to find out is I wonder if there is more if there was aspects to the them in the the brothels if there was aspects of that kind of um clipped to 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 keep the story moving forward because to me i don't think that they set up um 
Ndaki per se as a threat until they just finally revealed her. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, she's super, super overpowered and everything like that. So, Well, all the, the main women were disappearing. Right. She was consuming them all. Exactly. And, and, and that's my point is, is that I wonder if there was more to it than that, of, of, of kind of just making her into more of a looming threat than she actually was before they actually found her. Yeah, we know that there was girls disappearing. I mean, even uh, Uzui's uh, wives had disappeared. So obviously they were disappearing. There was people disappearing. But she didn't have that looming threat that until the last moment when she was finally revealed. And it was om- it almost felt like it was a consequence of just things have to happen this way. Um I'm not sa- I'm I'm just speculating as to why it maybe that's why it felt like it lingered and it didn't actually get to a point until she it was finally revealed and then suddenly everything came together um maybe that that was the reason it just didn't have that oomph that you would have felt if you had felt more of a lingering is she around this corner or is she around that corner type thing yeah it was really just the people despairing but yeah, so there you go. That's um, Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer. Moving on, we have Mushoku Tensei Jobless Reincarnation Edis the Goblin Slayer OVA. This will probably be a pretty quick discussion, but <laughs> essentially, this is a, a quick review of the OVA that was released, thankfully, very quickly to the West, which basically covers Edis. During the time that Rudy was having his little fallout with uh, a certain somebody else, I guess. Well, I, I guess it's, at this point, soft spoilers for Mushoku Tensei. But yeah, technically when Rudy was having a little bit of a fallout with his father, we had Edis kind of going off and doing a... Well, it wasn't when he had a fallout. It was when she was going off to do a goblin slaying thing, and then Rudy ends up running into his father. But um, yeah, Edis going out doing goblin slaying while uh, Rajir is basically watching from a distance. Uh, she ends up kind of uh, grouping up with a guy named Cliff, who is somebody who was taken in by what seems like the church and seen as being a prodigy, so to speak, somebody who's very good at magic. And so he gets a little bit full of himself, and but he wants to go out and venturing. So he ends up, after Edis stops an argument with him and somebody else, they go out goblin slaying together. And um, I guess the whole while kind of getting into... Um, how much Edis believes that Cliff is nowhere as cool as Rudy. <laughs> I, I guess that gets into my, my first frustration is like, I, I always, I was something I keep hearing about the original light novel, which I'll be able to find out here soon because I'm finally getting volume one. Thankfully um, it's shipping. Yay. Is something that I've heard from, I guess I won't hear from volume one because she's not in volume one. Something I keep hearing is that there's other, that especially like Edis, has some inner dialogue that's not really present in the show because um, obviously a lot of storytelling is from Rudy's perspective in the anime adaptation so I was kind of hoping with this particular one being about Edis being on her own that way we get possibly some um, inner dialogue from her and some insight into her mindset but unfortunately there wasn't it was more about Cliff <laughs> that's the only thing that kind of sucks it was more about Cliff than anything um, but there was some great Edis moments so I still I still enjoy it in the end so what is your thoughts on the OVA? I I did enjoy myself watching the story. I absolutely loved how phenomenal they in 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 a lot of respects having um another character's perspective of Edis. And 
seeing her in a way from a fresh, fresh pair of eyes of seeing her, her absolutely jumping into uh, a, into combat situations and absolutely going full bore without, with, with, without being kind of constrained from this kind of moment of feeling um, inferior to uh, Rudy in, in a lot of cases, not necessarily that she feels inferior to Rudy, but she, the perspective is from a, uh, of almost this kind of petulant child and seeing her as almost completely into herself and being herself. Um, it, it was really nice and refreshing to see it from that perspective. And she looked fantastic. Um, her, her attacking the, the, the assassins for whatever, or whatever you want to call them, um, was really a beautiful scene. I, I really loved it. Um, seeing, seeing, um, seeing her from the, from Cliff's perspective when she was, um, doting, effectively doting on, uh, Rudy and, and, and her kind of softened face when she started talking, talking about him, it was really a, a, a special moment. There was just a lot of, I mean, this is Edison's episode. So yeah, there's a lot of Edison there. So <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think a lot of this was kind of that perspective of seeing just how much Edis looks up to Rudy. And yeah, it, technically with the original series, it's all about the idea of Edis really realizing at some point that she relies on Rudy too much. And this was really, yeah, technically her going out and just not really having an issue with that. Realizing these dudes know we're here. I'm going to go finish this. She just jumps out there. There's no there's no check to see if Rudy's okay with it or there's no waiting for a signal or anything. It's just her going and having action. Um, and having this kind of idea of, yeah, technically Cliff is – you kind of parallel him with Rudy in a sense. I mean they in, – in an idea of being kind of both mages um, and then technically having that – that comparison happening between the two of them, obviously Edis is doing, he's saying that I'm better than Rudy. Edis is saying, no, you're not better than him because he can do this. It was like the whole joke about the, well, we're lost. Okay. Well fly up there and find out where the town is. I, I can't do that. Well, Rudy can, <laughs> it's like all those little moments of, well, Rudy can, well, Rudy can do this. Well, Rudy can do that. Uh, it was really great. Cause it, again, it's that idea of seeing just how much Edis looks up to Rudy and that, yeah, I I don't I don't think it's to the the realm of she's obsessed with him. It's just more of an idea. Well, if you're going to bring it up, I will tell you, Rudy is better than you. Um, it, she's not really. She's kind of focused on what she's going to do. And I I do I do like again kind of hinting back on that idea of that parallels drawn between Cliff and Rudy is this idea of like they both had the same first impression of Ennis. <laughs> They both had this guy come up and say, well, I could do this. And then she says something and then they go, oh, well, you're just what he said. He said, I didn't need your help. Ugly. You have that same look from Edis that Rudy got when he first met her angry, super mad. And then the punch. Now, granted, Cliff got like, what, two whole punches. Technically, Rudy's gotten a couple of. Well, I think one was a kick, but yeah, um, it was fine to see that kind of that similarity between the two of them for the first impressions, they both ticked her off and they both got a massive punch, which was great. So, um, yeah, it was fun. I, I, I think the only thing that I would say is a negative for this one is it had like a couple scenes where it's like, what happened to the animation there? It felt like it was like running at 
really low frame rate. Like when she was washing out her hand after they killed the goblins, it was like, why is it just jumping around? Um, some weird, some weird animation points, but overall it was still, it was so fantastic to see him again. I, I absolutely love Edis and just getting more Edis is enough for me. Just getting more Mishuko Tensei in general is enough for me. So hopefully, I don't know, maybe they can keep supplementing us to the next season with some little quick OVAs just to, to piece mill it. But I cannot wait for more. It's still, it's still fantastic. I still love the series. I love the characters. I love it. I like at the very end, you kind of get this Rudy, uh, Richard shows up and he's like, just kind of watching the entire time. I, I love that aspect of Richard. I, it, it, it technically hits back on, both Edis and Rajur's mentality. Edis loves helping children and Rajur loves protecting children. And I love that they kind of hit on that again, just very simply with this particular OVA, but yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Still love it. Still, still want more wins, wins season three. They, they have announced season three for those who don't know yet. Um, I, they did not announce a movie. They announced the season. So that's exciting. Yes. Granted, we know that there's going to be full adaptation, but it was interesting to find out, what the adaptation will be next, so we'll see. 86 is our last one. Well, technically 86 part two, the last two episodes, I guess you'll say. <laughs> uh, we got the first season was 11 episodes, second season part two, whatever you want to call it, was uh, two more episodes, well, was 12 episodes, and um, technically they're the fir- the same season, so episode 22 and 23 of 86. Um, yeah. I... I, I think when we uh, just to kind of jump right into it, cause I don't really necessarily think it's needs to be jumped into. I think from this point on, it's pretty much spoilers for the second part. I don't want to dance around spoilers, which are really easy to do for the series based on how the first season ends. So keep that in mind, full on spoilers for 86. Um, but yeah, the, the final two episodes, it was kind of a, <laughs> it was crappy with episode 10 because it literally left us on yet another of this writer's fake outs if I have anything negative to say about this writer, I don't like how much they do fake outs of deaths. Um, at this point, I'm getting kind of tired of it. But I will say, easily, episode 11 of this second part, or episode 22, is one of the most gorgeous, beautifully directed, beautifully written episodes that I have experienced in a long time. Everything about that episode was absolute perfection and again even though it technically relies on the the tropes of the fake out deaths it relies on the tropes of will they get to see each other even though they're right next to each other it plays on all these tropes but it was so so beautifully done it was a absolute train uh not train a uh, roller coaster of emotion i was gonna say train wreck of emotions it technically as well hit me in the face um such a gorgeous episode. Now, the last episode was a nice wrap-up. There was nothing really significant about it, in my opinion, other than to kind of show that they're adjusting to both having a life in military and a life outside of military. Um, there's obviously the setup of um, them coming together. Yes, the eventual emotional reunion of everybody, which is the first time we've ever seen them together ever. But uh, yeah, that, that before episode, I think, was the the part that I just... I, I loved every bit of it. The the choice of colors, the choice of perspective shots, the the music. You hear the music building up. <laughs> you know it's coming. You know something's coming, and it just hits. And it they hear each other's voices, and it just it it kills you. I just oh, I cannot express enough. That was phenomenal. I just I thought it. I thought the last episode was absolutely fantastic. Personally, I I I loved the 
the parallels of these two two characters as they were coming to the almost the same it, it was it was it's and I'm I'm getting goosebumps thinking about how I I I absolutely the 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 episode that Andrew was talking about it was fantastic, but the last episode and how they literally took basically they took a, one storyline and they did all of Shin's storyline basically of how he was carrying everything and then they turned around and they went to the other character and how this character was carrying everything and. Basically, they they it was almost a compare and contrast between the two as they were going in the same parallel lines, and eventually merging everything, and then you get this final face to face that I absolutely to me was fantastically done to get that final face to face and bringing all of that together in one moment, and I was I, the payoff for that was. Well done. I I absolutely give all the props in the world. From me personally, I loved it. Yeah, I think the the thing with that is that it it technically is the after effect of what happened in the previous episode, and that's the thing that I love so much about how this kind of ended. Is it has me more excited for the future. I will admit, I have been getting annoyed by Shin. I, I've I've gotten to that point, and it was at that point, like at that point when we got into that twenty second episode, I was. I was tired of Shin. He has always been in the same mindset. I am the Reaper. Uh, I, 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 I'm always going forward, and I'm and everybody's being left behind. I have to keep going forward. I have to keep you know releasing people. This is my curse. This is my curse. This is my curse. Woes me. And I understand him as a character, but at the same time, I was getting tired of him as a character. He wasn't growing. I was getting sick of that same idea, and it was so great that like between. Lena showing up and him realizing it's Lena and him realizing that she's safe and that she's alive. And then that moment when he realizes the promises that he'd been giving and the, the, the mindset that he's had, it was almost poetry. The way that Frederica says it at some point tells him you found the answer you're looking for. You are all about, I want to, you're, you're basically building something ahead of Lena. You're going down this path and creating a future for these people and Lena. What do you want that future to be? If you're so dead set on stopping and dying, you're leading them to death. And he finally had that realization that he has a future and that he can walk forward. And it get, it technically goes into the whole idea of no longer leaving people behind, but taking them forward, creating a future. He wants to now create a future for everybody that's not on a battlefield. He wants that that future to not be on the battlefield for Lena. He wants to create new experiences for people, to go to the ocean or whatever. It was so poetic, the fact that Frederica pointed that out, and I was like, that was so perfect. And it was finally like a, an immediate snap of everything in his mindset, of finally realizing to look at things from a different perspective and realize that he has a future, that there's something for him to do, then just waddle in this one spot and focus on the past. And the way that they pulled that off, and again, kicking the music and everything like that, it just, it wrecked me. It was so, so well done. Like I said, it was it was pure poetry, how it laid that out. And then, yeah, technically seeing what how how everybody survived, <laughs> including Frederica. Was, that killed me. That shot killed me. I don't know if you caught it too, but... One shot that we kept seeing, um, technically Shin seen it first. Shin was seeing these visions of 
um, Kirie picking up Frederica when she was still in the in the capital, when she was still a princess. He was picking her up, and she had her whole cloak on and everything like that. And sure enough, when it cut back to show us how Frederica survived, it was the hands coming out from Kirie's um, machine yeah. grabbing her. And I realized really quickly, it's the same shot. It's the same perspective. He's lifting her up just like back then. It was like, oh, gosh, it wrecked me. And then she smiled. And I'm like, no, oh, oh, you're killing me. Stop it. Oh, it was just like, it, like I said, that, that episode 22 was just hit after hit after hit. The poetic, uh, the, the, the basically the teasing of them coming together, the hearing of the voice, the realization of them being in front of each other. Now, granted, I thought that Lena knew at that moment because she was showing the pictures and showing that she found the thing they left behind. But in actuality, it, it wasn't until like the next episode that she realized it, but that's that realization there. And the, the shifting of Shin's mindset, the, the, yeah, Frederica being saved by Kirie. It was all just so, so perfect. I loved it. Um, I think the only thing that I was a little bit miffed by um, when it came to the 23rd episode, because I, like I said, I did love the build up to them meeting each other. Her her basically saying, you know, this is the first time being together and everything. And they're like, going, no, it's not our first time, Lena. <laughs> yeah, I love and that. Then they, and then they, he, she introduces himself and then she starts hearing the voices and going to each one of you're Kirina, you're it, she connected the names to the voices like she knew their voices. She just never seen them before um, was so good. Them just. Them la- they knew, like, they were laughing about it. They're like, should we tell her? You know, they were, like, joking about the whole aspect, but it was it was so good. I love they finally put an end to Nina Lentz. I, I was kind of frustrated by that whole story, but finally Shin giving her the picture of Eugene was, was enough for her to realize that her brother was happy. Um, may you probably say that was a little bit simple, but I think it was enough for, for Nina to realize that her brother was happy with Shin um, was good as well. So, yeah. Everything's good. Um, another some some more great moments with Ernst, him being a dork. Ernst is so great. I I've, I loved Ernst in the second season. Um, he's just like that that I'll destroy the world if you if you screw with these children kind of person, which I've always loved. So, anything else? Did we miss anything? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, between the I, oh, obviously the last two episodes were really really a great payoff. So. Oh. My my, I, I forgot to get into my my disappointment. I was a little dis- disappointed, but we didn't actually get to see what happened with um, the San Magnolia. Rather, it was just basically told, narrated, like Lena walking through the the rubble and saying, "This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened." We're moving on, kind of thing. I was a little bit disappointed by that. I was kind of expecting like maybe an episode showing the downfall of San Magnolia. Instead, we're supposed to assume that her uncle died. We're supposed to assume, you know. Things happened, but it just comes down to we got attacked. We were holding the line. The the um, Giad came in. They protected us. They gave uh, residency to all of the Alba or not the Alba the the eighty six. And now we're basically being watched. Like it insinuates this idea that like the commander's assigning Lena to go work with them and he's got these two pictures on his desk that shows him hugging yeah. like random 86 people and they all look uncomfortable like he's trying to give this facade that he loves the 86 they even have like two guys off the side that are keeping track of what he does mm-hmm. i was like okay i like that that's that there's nothing wrong with that but it's just the build-up to that point was a little bit of a letdown not having any sort of context besides a grave telling us that the uncle's dead um, I like that the, some of the Alba want to join the military, the more younger ones. 
Uh, obviously, there's still a bit of a the older people don't like the fact that things are changing. There's still there's still a lot of good storytelling there. I was just a little frustrated that most of the buildup was kind of just so this happened. Shrug. <laughs> Moving forward. <laughs> that was a little bit of a letdown. So, anyways, still love it. I, I think um, besides my frustration with this writer's fake outs, I'm getting sick of the fake outs. Um, I don't want anybody to die. Obviously, it's just I get I get tired of that fake out and the fact that it always seems convenient that they have either production issues or they end seasons whenever big terrible fake outs happen. Um, but I'll, I'll be interested to see where it goes from here. I've, I've I love thoroughly. 86 and I, I i can't wait for more of it so hopefully we get another season of it yeah fake anything. out a fake out should be a rarely yeah not used it's, it's a yeah it's 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 one of those things that if you use it use it sparingly but same same on the other hand if you're going to kill a character you do it sparingly yeah for chris <laughs> for chris well, you, do you really it want an entire can. show where yeah. the entire cast is murdered every well, yeah. five I mean, episodes? That's like, um, what was it Pilot's Love Song? It was like, after like the second one, it's like, okay, um, I don't care to know any, know any of these characters. I mean, I had the same feeling early on with this show. I mean, honestly, I was I had that feeling of like, don't get to know anybody because they're just going to die. Death should be a significant moment. And if you're murdering them left and right, it becomes un, unsustainable. Yeah. You don't care to connect with anything. So, yeah, it's like real war. You just don't connect with anybody. You don't get to know anybody. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's all the shows that we're going to cover for now. Again, we have a part two that will come around the corner. Um, hopefully I can get caught up on several of them, <laughs> but, uh, that's it for now. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this winter 2022 anime season review part one. As always, we're at talkyspread.com. It's where you can go for all of our links, social media, and all that kind of stuff to get connected with us and join our Discord. Um, also, we have a merch site, shop.otakuspirit.com, where you can get some great things like the Dammit Roberts mug. It's now available. So We need definitely. an Icoon mug. Yes, I need to, need to put that together. So also we also have a um i'm not soon daddy i just haven't had my coffee yet mug which i think is fantastic too so but yeah we hope you all enjoyed we thank you all for your support and you all take care Oos.